Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Reap the Spoils. I'm Mark Sullivan. I'm Delilah Lugo. I'm Jason Kwasnicki. And this is a spoiler cast where we're going to talk about a video game. Video games in the title. We'll say the name. Actually, what, Delilah, what game are we talking about today? Ghost of Tsushima. Aha! So, if you have not played Ghost of Tsushima... Please pause right here. Don't listen to the episode because we don't want to be the thing that spoils this game for you. Uh, this is a spoiler cast, so we're going to be digging deep into the story. We're going to be digging deep into the mechanics, the gameplay, um, pretty much everything the game has to offer. Uh, we don't we don't want to ruin that for you, and especially not this game. I, I feel like I say that about every game that we cover. Yeah. Um, especially about this game. Spoilers. <laughs> it's all of them. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, if you have not played this game, please pause the episode, go play the game, and then come back to listen to our sultry voices uh, speak on our thoughts of this game. Which, spoilers, first spoiler, uh, I think we all really liked this game. Yes. Yes. I think we were all pretty big fans of this game. Uh, you know, kind of a rarity for the crew at Dead Cell Media that we all agree that a game is super good. Yes. Um, so yeah, that being said... Shall we dive into a little bit of history on Ghost of Tsushima? Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So Ghost of Tsushima was developed by Sucker Punch Productions, which is a Sony first-party developer. Uh, their first game was uh, Rocket Robot on Wheels, which I never played. I think that was an N64 game. Yeah, uh, only. I've never even heard of it until now. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. The first game was Ro Rocket Robot on Wheels, which was an N sixty four exclusive. Uh, but after that, they made the Sly Cooper trilogy, which is near and dear to my heart. Same. Uh, super near and dear to my heart. And then after that, they made the infamous games on the PS three generation, uh, which was and PS four. Uh, yeah, it did stretch into the the, the PS four. Um. Wasn't their first foray into open world? Uh, Sly Two kind of has a a smallish open world uh, feeling to it. It has like multiple small open worlds that you that you go through and explore. Uh, mm -hmm. So that that can kind of with open world and Sucker Punch, we can kind of date back to around that time. But Infamous was like a first true open world setting for for their video games. Um, Infamous Second Son and Infamous First Light. They both came out in 2014, and it was a while until we knew what Sucker Punch was making. Mm -hmm. uh, after First Light uh, released in 2014, they started trying to decide on the setting for their next game. And uh, they toyed around with a couple ideas. Uh, apparently, it, an early idea for the setting would be pirates, like a pirate <laughs> setting. And uh, they also had an idea for maybe doing a uh, Three Musketeers type game. Yeah, um, normally what I read was that or heard or I don't remember, but normally like when you have pre-development talks, you have like a dozen or two pitch meetings. Apparently there was something like 100 pitch meetings for this game. Yeah, they're uh, ridiculous. 
from from what I'm rapidly finding out, reading more and more about games development, the game that you end up with is nothing necessarily like the game that you start with. Right. And with this, there were lots of different settings that they considered before they finally landed on doing a game set in uh, the year 1274 Japan, uh, focused in, focusing on the Mongol invasion of Japan. Um, they when when they finally landed on that setting and they started trying to develop the game and get the get the the feel of it right. They they consulted a lot of people. They consulted cultural experts. Uh, sword fighting experts they wanted this game to be as historically accurate as possible and uh, as we found out somewhat recently with the Kurosawa mode in the game where it gives it the black and white grainy film feel uh, with the tin kind of sound audio sound uh, they worked really closely with the Kurosawa Foundation to get the feeling of samurai cinema uh, completely right which is a really cool this bit of trivia and uh really just really shows the attention to detail that they wanted to go with making this game feel feel right um the I'll game be mentioning kurosawa a lot in this talk because i love kurosawa yeah and by the way if you want to watch kurosawa films and have hbo max I think most of them are up there oh, right now that's good to know because what's your number one recommended kurosawa i think my personal favorite and I actually just watch it on Friday just because I wanted to watch one before this um, just to like Jason did homework. get into that field to make the comparisons. I think my personal favorite would probably be Yojimbo. Mm-hmm. Um, it's but, also one of the coolest yeah. summons in Final Fantasy X. <laughs> um, it's a very simple story. If you've seen A Fistful of Dollars with Clint Eastwood, whether that movie is Legitimately, just a ripoff of Yojimbo in a loving way. When they made yeah. the Fistful of Dollars, if I remember the story correctly, they didn't actually have a script. Sergio Leone was just like, Well, Clint Eastwood, this happened in this scene, so uh, let's go. You say this action. Let's make a, uh, a Western version of a uh, beloved samurai film. Basically. Cool. All right. Um,. That's good to know, though, because I, 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 after playing this game, I definitely want to go and watch Kurosawa films and knowing that they're on HBO Same. Max. Uh, that they yeah, I know, I know Yojimbo is up there. I saw Hidden Fortress. I saw Seven Samurai. Seven Samurai is the most relevant one to this game. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, the game was revealed at Paris Games Week uh, 2017. That's when we finally got our, our first look at Ghosts of Tsushima. Uh, we got the gameplay reveal at E3 2018, which I thought was interesting because uh, I, I remembered that reveal and I remembered the mission that they showed and I, I was waiting for it to come up. And it's actually a side quest in in the main game, oh. which I totally wasn't expecting because it seemed like yeah. it was, I mean, we'll get into how the side quests affect them or are affect the main story and how a lot of them really feel like main story content set as side tales. But. Um, it also is a spoiler for a side quest. Yeah. If you think about it. If you, if you yeah. <laughs> it, it's a good thing mm-hmm. I mostly forgot about it until the, 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 I got to it in the game. And, uh, yeah, I don't even remember seeing it. I, I only remembered, or I didn't even remember. I, I only found out about that after the fact. I don't think I saw it. Mm. And yeah. get, getting context behind it was really cool. Um, but yeah, the, uh, 
we got we got our gameplay reveal at E3 2018. You know, we've we've gotten several trailers over the past six to six to twelve months, uh, just showing lo- little bits and more details. And we got a state of play a couple months ago, focusing entirely on the game and detailing its gameplay mechanics. Uh, the release date was originally set for June twenty sixth, twenty twenty. Um, it was delayed by almost a month to July seventeenth because of. A lot of it has to do with uh, coronavirus and the other delays that games got this year, uh, like Iron Man VR and The Last of Us Part Two. Uh, but this game ultimately came out on July 17th. And another thing that came out recently uh, that's kind of relevant was um, it seems like Sucker Punch had another game in development and a, an 11-minute gameplay demo got leaked recently of a game called prophecy it was kind of a stealth action game uh and the build seemed to have been from the year 2015 uh which for 2015 it looks like it was pretty far along um like it didn't look it didn't look really bad there was a lot of there was a lot of work done to it that made it seem like it wasn't just thrown together in a year it might have been a vertical slice but i mean we'll never Right. No, probably. But it, it still seems like it was like it, it was at least like maybe two years in development at that point. Just, just from <clears> what, <throat> what from what they from what it showed and from how it looked, it it definitely seemed far enough along. It was definitely a vertical slice for sure, but still, it it it, it was frankly kind of impressive. Whether or not the the gameplay appeals to you is, is a whole other thing. And I um, don't know if I want to encourage looking up leaked footage. Uh, yeah. just because that gets into some ethical, moral gray areas. But uh, I thought it, I thought it was worth mentioning. It's part of, I feel like it's part of why it took so long for Sucker Punch to reveal and put out their next game, because seemingly another one was in development. And uh, I guess got canceled since we've never seen it outside of yeah. a couple weeks ago. So that's the end of my long drawn out history lesson. Oh, you oh. forgot. With the release of this game, this is the third Western release game ever to relieve, to receive a perfect score oh, from Famitsu. That is a That's... good point. <laughs> nice. This, the, 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 yeah, we haven't, we didn't. I, I kind of fell off of talking about the how these games are received in the history lesson, but this game was received really well, and especially by Japanese audiences for a Western game. Uh, yeah, Jason. Jason already said it. Famitsu it gave it a a perfect forty out of forty, which is the third Western game to do so. Uh, what were the other two, Jason? Grand- Skyrim and GTA Five. Yeah, I think. Nice. Um, and so and, and it's been a while since GTA Five was was twenty thirteen. So that was the last time they gave a perfect score to a Western release game. So it's been a long time, and there haven't been that many of them. Uh, Famitsu definitely leans more towards. Uh, Japanese games giving giving them higher scores, but and even then I think there's only, I think the list is only like thirty something leaning towards forty, mm-hmm. overall. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's really impressive. It's I guess another thing to point out was that the creator of Yakuza, um, there was, he he made a comment that was kind of taken out of context a little bit. It was it was a little yeah. bit misreported, you know, a lot for clickbaity reasons. But the Yakuza director and creator uh, stated that the game, the, the a Japanese developer should have made a game, and what he meant by <laughs> should have made the game, and what he meant by that was 
he meant that a Japanese developer should have taken it upon themselves to do something like this sooner. Mm. Should have taken it upon themselves to like make a game that's set in a, a an old feudal Japan era, era with more realistic and 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 relatable characters. Yeah. And it's it's ironic coming from him considering how crazy Yakuza is and how conventionally <laughs> attractive almost all the characters are. And for him to say this about this game, it's it's a huge it I feel like it's a huge point of honor. Uh that that Sucker Punch I don't think is taking lightly. I think they're very much riding on cloud nine after the reception of this game. <laughs> this is this game is definitely and and I guess we'll get to it towards the end, but this is definitely their like uncharted moment. Yeah. <laughs> where they've they've now entered the big boy league. I would say. <laughs> um Sure. Yeah, I, I, I guess we could put... I guess we could say that. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's it for the history lesson, I think, now. We can, we can jump into the game if you guys are ready. Yeah. I'm curious to hear, Jason, though. I know you're a big history buff as our resident history major. I've, well, I am curious to hear... There's like... some elements. Yeah, there's some elements of the historical stuff. Honestly, a lot of it has to Is do it... with, like... We'll get into it. Themes borrowed from not just uh, not just Kurosawa, but other stuff as well. But we'll get into it. Yeah, I was I, reading on some history. Like it, this, this was definitely. I mean, it's it's historical fiction. So, like, of course, it's yeah. going to take liberties, uh, and it's not the first game to do so. Metal Gear has been doing it for years, um, <laughs> or was doing it for years, I guess. Um, Jungles in in the Soviet Union, yeah. <laughs> Uh, let, let's go right into let, let's do what we usually do. Let's go right into the ending. I think I think we yeah. can safely do that with this game. Um, oh. So like Jin defeating Quentin Khan, I don't think is much of a surprise. I I figured that's not the real ending, and it's not the it, focus of the game. True. Yes. It's it's very much like he he's a he's a very very if we if we want to just go black and white, uh, he's a very black threat. He's just very very clearly evil. And yeah. the game was leading up to just him inevitably being defeated. Um, so that's not really much of a surprise. But the, the game, around, especially around the midpoint, takes a very clear direction in not focusing on Jin versus the Khan, but Jin versus his uncle, Lord mm -hmm. Shimura. And after the defeat of, Khan, uh, of Koten Khan, he goes to meet up with uh, Lord Shimura uh, because... Jin has kind of given up on being an honorable samurai and this and he and he's become essentially an enemy of the state an enemy of the shogun so you use the word honorable and this is the true core of the story here and it's one of the things that makes this in my opinion one of the best video game endings I've ever played mm. <clears throat> this story is all about and there are lots of stories throughout fiction political fiction science fiction that toy around with this idea of true honor versus fake honor so when you say Jin decides that he's not going to be an honorable samurai an honorable samurai quote unquote is not actually honorable the code of bushido that the samurai follow as is seen in this game and in actual history it's really just a facade. It's a charade for the nobility to be able to maintain control over the peasant classes. 
Because at the end of the day, the whole reason that Lord Shimura has to follow the orders of the Shogun in keeping with this quote-unquote code of honor is that the Shogun is afraid that Jin, having kind of undermined this code of honor, has inspired the peasantry and fears that he can use that power to lead a peasant revolt against the ruling class within Tsushima. Right. I like that. That's a very interesting perspective. Well, not even perspective, but like you're putting some historical context into this. When I, how I interpreted it is that I actually consider Lord Shimura to be one of those people who, if I'm going to fight you, I'm going to fight you in your face. I'm not going to be sneaky about it. And so there's, there's never like any like shady underhanded attacks. Like he's always kind of like one of those things like, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sucker punch you. <laughs> sucker punch you. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm going to make sure that if we're going to fight, you, you know I'm going to attack you. There's no surprises, you know, mm-hmm. which is why the ghost mechanics like stealth and using shiruken or kunai, rather, and um, smoke bombs and other gadgets uh, are considered dishonorable. So I, I thought yeah. he was just like, like honoring that that was his code of honor is facing people head on with nothing sneaky. So that your enemy kind of has the same fight, like fighting grounds as you. You guys are on the same level. Well, the the idea historically was that the whole reason behind that was that the peasantry could never afford the same kind of equipment and the same kind of armor and arms that the samurai could because the samurai were nobility. I mean, think of a peasant versus a knight in Western, in a Western frame of mind. Knights very rarely died on the battlefield because they were so well armored versus peasantry who went in with boiled leather and mail and were fucking massacred because they were just the average foot soldier. And um, that makes sense because Jin, Jin was for the people. Like he, the reason exactly. why he chose ghost that's, tactics is that's because the core of his character is that his, and that's the reason he's, he actually displays true honor is because he's willing to do whatever it takes for his people. He loves his people. And his, and that's and his, his country, or and his, uh, and the island, the country as a whole. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and the that, land. that's what that's what makes this actually, in terms of story structure, it makes it a tragic story. It's a tragedy. That's Jin's in in the very same vein as more modern uh, tragic heroes. Like the most popular would probably be Batman. Yeah, Batman's Hamarsh. I forget if it's pronounced Hamarsh or Hamardia. It's a Aristotelian Greek term for tragic heroes. <laughs> it's their fatal flaw, basically. Um, in the case of Batman, his fatal flaw, but also his greatest strength is his love for Gotham and the fact that he will not kill, which is also his biggest weakness. And it dooms him to fight crime forever and never have a normal life because he won't just go in and fucking kill all the villains mm-hmm. and he'll never rest until Gotham is peaceful, whatever. <laughs> Same with Jin. Jin is doomed to be thrown out as an outcast from the noble society he was part of and fight forever for his people because of his love for his people. And he rejects this fake honor system because he has true honor. Right. And that's why I think that and the way they dichotomize the options, because you do get two options at the very end of the game. Yeah. It's, It's one of the few, not few, you get choices and dialogue throughout the game, but it's one of the, only if the only really impactful choices you're given. And uh, while playing, it almost made me think if 
Infamous had a morality system, and depending on like not even not even choices you made in story in story beats, uh, but like if you even just started murdering pedestrians and stuff, it would affect your morality and and wean you more towards evil than good. Um, mm-hmm. I almost wonder what this game would have been like, not from like murdering innocents or or not or or choosing not to kill people, but like. If you played more of a as more of the ghost than a, as a samurai, I wonder if they if it was ever thought of to include a morality system like that, um, to kind of affect the ending as opposed to just that ending choice. Yeah, if you I use thought... more ghost tactics than uh than than samurai tactics. If 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 there was ever some sort of system like that in mind, because I think that would have been really cool. Not necessary, but really cool. Yeah, when I saw the state of play, I thought that that's the direction they were leaning towards when they were showing the ghost versus samurai uh, elements. And then when I was playing the game, I felt inclined to do more samurai standoffs instead of doing stealth tactics because I thought that the game wanted me to lean in that direction. And I feel like if they would have given us the choice, the story that was told wouldn't have been told the way it was and it would have been as good. Like, I think they want Jin to be a ghost. And so had we been given the choice to be more quote-unquote honorable, we wouldn't have had such a climactic ending, I feel. And to be honest, I I, throughout the game, I kind of role-played it. At the beginning, I was definitely like doing standoffs and not being sneaky because I felt that uh, I, I was just trying to role play it. Jin at that point in the game would, would try to be more honorable and be less likely to try to be sneaky and, and just murder from the shadows. But as, as it goes on and the Mongols start taking on, you know, worse tactics and, mm. and just generally be more evil. And I started getting more of an arsenal to play more ghost. Like I started taking on that mantle as he would, through the story i i kind of role played it just just like that and i i mean it had a good i had a good time with it yeah and we'll we'll talk i guess a bit more about that when we get to like combat and gameplay yeah i think i think i think their primary concern was that the player have agency and freedom to do whatever they wanted because you really couldn't that's one of this game's greatest strengths is how fun it is just because you can play however you want yeah ultimately though i don't i'm i i love the way the game ends Particularly because either choice, the character comes to the same arc. There isn't a major change in Jin's arc. It's how his character and how the new, not the new Jin, but from his new perspective, how he chooses to approach it. Let's... Let's back up. Let's discuss the choice. uh, Because I think that's the big thing everyone wants to talk about is what choice did you make and why? So Mm -hmm. during after the battle with Lord Shimura... Um, you're given the choice after defeating him to either spare his life or to kill him. So I, I think we should say what we chose without explanation, yeah. all three of us, Fine. and then explain. Sure. I have uh, a feeling so we all I, chose the same thing anyway. I thought that, but now I'm starting to doubt it a little okay, bit. Okay, okay. I didn't kill him. Okay, I, I killed him. Oh my god, Delilah, you monster. <laughs> Am I, though? <laughs> um, am i <laughs> i i i also spared him so i i let, let let's start with you delilah why, why would you kill your uncle yeah so one he asked for it uh he he wanted to die honorably and while i feel like Jin, it goes me killing him goes against everything he's kind of worked towards like he doesn't go by this honor code and killing him was an honorable way for him to go out 
So it almost seems like that's the opposite decision of what Jin would have made. I felt like this was not, this was a time for me not to be selfish as Jin to kill my uncle when, to not kill my uncle when he wanted to be killed and known as a warrior and, and, and uh, known as somebody that's that lived by the samurai code until the day he died. And I felt like because he asked me for that decision as someone who still loved my uncle and was trained by him and respects him uh, as a human being, as an uncle, as a father, um, I thought it was, I thought I needed to put my own morals aside for his, for his code to live on because this was his life, not mine. Like this wasn't about, Jin. This was about Lord Shimura. And so I felt like I needed to fulfill his own wishes because it's not my life to decide. And he made it clear what he wanted. Okay. Yeah, and I uh, I actually completely agree with Delilah's reasoning there. That's why I say I love this ending and the choices that give you so much is that either way both choices adhere to Jin's character arc. Because ultimately he's rejecting the honor code and embracing his his love of the people. And that includes Lord Shimura, who he's see, he has seen and still sees to uh, a degree as a father figure. Um, so you can either do what I did, and I chose to do what I did, because it's ultimately him showing Lord Shimura that this is all a facade, this whole honor code, you, you know, forcing death upon yourself because you lost this duel. It's ridiculous. It's a sham. It's a power play. Um, but Delilah, what she chose to do is to give Lord Shimura what he wanted out of love for Lord Shimura, not because the honor code dictated it. Right. Which ultimately... It's the same character. It's just two different ways of looking through that lens. It's two sides of the same coin. Yeah, exactly. They're they're both totally valid choices. And yeah, I I, I agree with you. I I love this ending for that reason. Where like it's not a case of it's not a case of a, the good ending and the evil ending, or a case of even like the samurai ending or the ghost ending. They're both. Right. They're, it, it's both just like. It's like a, a the compassionate ending or the realization ending, I guess, where you compassionate, you don't want to kill you, you don't want to kill your uncle, um, or no, the compassionate ending of like you do kill your uncle because he it's his wish and it's his will, or the realization ending where you show him like this this is you don't have to do this 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 is proof that this is not something that you need to abide by this is not something that you're forced to do. You don't have to abide by this code because I'm rejecting it. And as a result, I'm going to keep my, my um, home safe. Did you guys see both endings? Like, did you YouTube the other? Okay. I, I didn't see the kill Shima ending. I probably should have watched that. So when Delilah, so, and I think this is another little, it's, it's not his main arc, but it, it is kind of an undercurrent which goes a lot of people I've seen and like reviews and discussions online have talked about how Shin Shin <laughs> Jin is a, is a kind of a boring character. 
he's not meant to be boring. He's meant to be stoic. And throughout most of the game, it's kind of like Samurai Jack, where throughout a lot of the game, it's more about the characters around him changing and growing and evolving. And he his change is more of a slow burn. Yes. Uh, where most of it happens throughout the second and third act. Yeah. Um, but I think there's an important... Um, an important note to, note to be made. Uh, <laughs> there is that flashback that we see relatively early on of his father's death. Yes. When and his father is showing fear when he does. He's reaching out to a very young Jin who is hiding out of fear to help him, and of course Jin, you know, runs off because he's afraid. He's a fucking child and. He's afraid, he's untrained, he's helpless. Yeah, exactly. And his father is killed. He's stabbed through the back as he's crawling on the ground. And we see throughout the game Jin remaining very stoic. And he's doing this, obviously, because as we see through other flashbacks throughout the game, Lord Shimura is teaching him that he needs to control his emotions. He needs to be patient. It's a very, like, Jedi kind of philosophy there. But... Delilah, you know this because you actually saw the ending. When you kill Lord Shimura, you know, he cries out. And I think this has to do with another kind of smaller bit of arc that we see throughout the game. And and I think we see this a lot most prominently with uh, Yoriko's quest. As we learn more about things that happened in his past between him and his father, we learn more about how he's actually not so different from his father than he thought he was. Yeah. His father was apparently also much more rebellious than he thought he was, particularly when it came to the samurai code and much more of an emotional person. And, and we see Jin kind of embracing that emotion as the game goes on. Yeah. The, uh, the cherry blossom doesn't fall, fall, uh, far right. from the tree. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. The, the reason why I felt, satisfied with my ending and I can see them both being satisfying because I did watch the spare ending after I beat it um, is because he acknowledged Lord Shimura as someone that's going to be remembered as a great warrior a great father and Lord Shimura seemed happy to die that way he even called Jin his son as part of his last words and yeah Jim when Jin killed him he cried out in sadness but also like he he knew that that's what his uncle wanted i feel like with the ending where he was spared jin kind of walks away while his uncle is pretty much incapacitated and can't really do anything and i feel like that's just a really shitty way to leave someone that you love you know and walk away from that like it was badass like not like uncle like i'm gonna do what i want like this is my (laughs) way like you'll be (laughs) jin does bow to him and he says i will not kill uh, my family or loved ones. So, like, yeah. there's definitely still... And I think it's important to to um, talk about what the exact phrasing that Lord Shimura uses there when he says, the ghost will be hunted forever. Now, obviously, he's implying that the Shogun is going to have him going after him to the end of his days. Yeah. But it's heavily implied that Lord Shimura not even implied flat out said doesn't want this it's punishment like there is still very much a, a, a loving relationship there and jin says during the fight um that he's a slave to his honor yeah. system mm-hmm. i don't remember if it's during or before the fight 
the final fight. It was right before. Um, was it right before? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, overall, a very emotional, very well directed. It should be said too. Yeah. Um, the sun setting in the background. They're in, they're in a cemetery with uh, Jin's, the memorial to Jin's father, right behind them in that tree, right over that, hanging right I over mean, them. If we really just want to, if we really just want to, like, just take a minute and just say it, like, there's not a bad shot in this game. No, there is not a not... single thing that looks bad or ugly. The entire I... game, presentation, yeah. setting. Graphic. And it's not a super high detailed game either. Like, no. from a technical perspective, if you were to have uh, what's that channel called that goes over Digital Foundry? Yeah, digital. If you were to have them go over like textures and and I I made a note to do this to go in real deep and like look at the textures. They're not super impressive, especially coming off the, like something like The Last of Us Two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the way it's all composed and the way they use the camera to kind of spread it out and give you that large panoramic view and have all these colors contrasting uh it's for cut it scenes using the uh the, the black bars to make it more cinema feel it it's just it yeah the widescreen look yeah, yeah. go ahead delilah no, i was just gonna say it is the most beautiful game without being the most graphically impressive yes mm-hmm. and and like i Breath took of the wild in that respect yeah yeah but except more beautiful and <laughs> yes, I, took... I agree i agree it's the most beautiful game I've ever played, like hands down. Um, and I took 220 screenshots. <laughs> oh, you beat me! I, I think I have a. I think a, I have like 160. I, nice. I I did take. I I did hold back because there was like more that I wanted to take, but realizing that a lot of those, I, I mostly take the the screenshots for the um for the video version of the show. And I didn't mm. want to overload it with like a bunch. And a lot of them, a lot of the screenshots that I wanted to take that I just held back on were just like when you start or end a mission and there's that, there's that vignette like zooming in on like a leaf or a bell or something with the yeah. vertical kanji and the title of the mission. Like ev- there's not a, there's not a single shot in this game that, that looks bad. Every single one is, is gorgeous or feel or, or just feels like immensely, it like exudes power and exude style it's like it's almost like persona 5 in that in in that sense yes. like totally different art direction but there's not like the, everything looks just so gorgeous because of that art direction because of and because of that the 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 style that they decided to go with in the world even the skybox like yeah and the range not just the range of weather patterns which by the way the weather patterns if if you pay attention actually change based on your style of play yeah. Um, the more ghost-like you play, uh, you start getting worse and worse thunderstorms. Yeah. Which are fucking beautiful. Like, And then you can also, um, if you find the crickets, you can learn songs in your flute that also alter yes. the weather. Um, there's, there, there's, uh, yeah, but I just wanted to, if there was ever a time to bring it up, you're talking about that final duel. Um Everything in this game is just drop dead gorgeous. The use of color. Uh, I'm not sure that the 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 island of Tsushima can really have that many different biomes. <laughs> yeah, it's basically um, a planet. A planet. It's a very it's small island. island. Like if you look at it on a map, and like Japan itself is a small country, but like this is just a small island. Yeah. I never actually. Uh, I don't know if you looked this up. I I never bothered to. Does it adhere relatively loosely to the actual 
outline I, of the island. I the don't. Way the I don't. Map well, is oh, as far as the map is structured, yes, it, it is pretty much just a vertical island. Um, if 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 I recall from what I saw, uh, th- like I said, I think the biomes were kind of, um, yes, liberties were taken there. <laughs> Because of how small it is and, and where it's located on the globe, like, there's no way you go to that northern section and it's just, like, the only area on the island that's snowy. I think yeah. they kind of cheated by having, because a lot of this, the game kind of takes place in starting from late summer to the dead of winter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, it's kind of a thematic thing that works to help drive the story so you, and like also that, that other as, background stuff as time but progresses. to kind of cheat by having it when you go back to earlier sections it doesn't like go to winter there it's too. like you're going yeah. back in time to like a past season yeah yeah um which is like fine like it, it didn't really bother me i i found it funny more than anything uh but it, it did it's allow gamey. for just a huh it's gamey yeah I, and i like that about this game it, it's not afraid to be gamey yeah. And I think it works in its favor in a lot of ways. Very much. It doesn't so. take away from the game at all. Even the places that were meant to be quote unquote ugly, like the endless forest, were still beautiful in their own way because they just depicted so much emotion. Yeah. Like <laughs> all the trees were dead. There was no like beautiful flowers and fa- whatever. Like maybe there was a fox, but like there wasn't many much like wildlife. Um, and it was still like, it was just like, a burning forest and it, it was beautiful in that way even though it wasn't meant to be as breathtaking as like a field of blood red flowers with trees and stuff like that yeah, it was like beauty and destruction yeah and yeah the, like like i like i said there there's not any any screenshot you could possibly take in this game could be like a framed photo it, it, yeah. it is just it, it is just that beautiful that varied and yeah it's incredible so I think this is a good time to transition over to talking about the character tales. Mm. Some of the yep. some of the some of the character tales that because like they're like framed as side side tales. Um they're not like Jin's journey. Yeah, like, you can end the game without finishing them. But the ones that focus on specific characters are 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 practically main story. They're just like yeah. like side main story. There's like main I, story, side not, main story, and then side story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're like they're like the B stories. But from like they're like they're a structural perspective. They don't really almost as they, like go ahead. They're yeah, they are they are in many ways as integral. And they do affect your main story progression in some ways, like dialogue that characters will say before and during missions and mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like other, uh, if you don't do them you're doing yourself a disservice Absolutely. because fighting by their side feels so much better that than if i can't imagine how it would feel if you didn't do those first and totally agree. you won't really get the full grasp of Jin's story without theirs yeah there are a lot of common themes strung throughout all of them um that have to do with a lot of the themes of the story as a whole but i do yeah. like from a pacing perspective, um, we covered Days Gone last year, and one of my biggest complaints about Days Gone was that it has one of the things I liked, and yet one of my biggest complaints about Days Gone was was those like story, those different story threads where there were different progressions of different stories regarding specific characters, but like you can't really do them at your own leisure. 
it's it, it will force you to do all of a certain uh, all of certain storylines at certain times in order to progress the main story and they're all kind of part of the main story and i didn't really like that because it just like it it it, it just felt a little messy in execution and i think that this kind of did it perfectly where they have these side tales that are that are ostensibly optional but they're so engrossing and so riveting and they do affect dialogue and things that that, that they say to one another in the main story well enough that they're kind of worth doing but the stories themselves are just so interesting that why wouldn't you do them like why wouldn't you yeah. go track down um uh, Tomoe with with Sensei Ishikawa because like that story was so cool it was so interesting to mm-hmm. go mission to mission and find out what the hell Tomoe is up to. Um, yeah. And and you also and, learn more about Ishikawa and you also learn more about the world as a whole through them. Yep. Um, like everything's tied together. Like there are other quests and and you hear tales about older warriors who have long since passed and. Ishikawa is kind of tied to, what was it, Nadago, who you get his bow and, like, his armor armor or whatever from that clan. And apparently, yeah. like, that Ishikawa is famous for having taken and pa- tried to pass down that bow style. Masako, Lady Masako, is part of, what was it, the Adachi clan? The Adachi yeah. clan. And... and in the beginning of the game, and I thought this was really cool, in the very beginning of the game, um, at the Battle of Komodo Beach, Lord Shimura sends out his greatest warrior, this, the Lord of Clan Adachi, and Cochin Khan literally lights him on fire and just cuts off his head. Yeah. And I was like, oh shit, that's a cool that's a cool character moment and a great way to introduce a villain. But that's actually tied in later on because that's Lady Misako's son, right? Son I think or husband. it was her husband. Was yeah. it her husband? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's something we could we could talk about real quick too. Was that opening was like a really good opening for how brutal this game was going yes. to be. The first the first major like like thing that happens was yeah, uh, Adachi goes down, gets set on fire, and then decapitated. It's like oh, this is how brutal this game is going to be. There were a shit ton of decapitations throughout this game. Yeah, mm-hmm. way more than like I expected. a beautiful field of flowers, and then like a head on a pick yeah. <laughs> with blood all over. Um, I, you know, just going back to the point that you made about Days Gone and its structure, I feel like this game would have benefited from a structure like that because it wouldn't have felt as bogged down. Because I did all the side missions before doing the main mission, and it felt super natural. Mm-hmm. I feel like if it had the structure of Days Gone, where it forced you to do those main tales at least, not even the little side tales, um, the the main tales with like the core characters, Lady Masako, yeah. Sensei Ishigawa. Um, I don't feel like people would have had that as a criticism. I feel like they would have almost thanked the game for making them do those missions first. Like, the only people that would have been bogged down with that is like journals, journalists who had, you know, embargo dates. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I think, I, I don't, I don't disagree because it would have, it would have, for, I guess it would have forced people to see those stories, and it would have made it less likely that they wouldn't have seen them. But I think a lot of the credit also in in keeping those stories um, and those those tales uh, as side content and op- ostensibly optional content, um, it helps that the pacing of almost every mission was really on point. It didn't spot on. No yeah. mission really felt like a slog to get through. 
Whereas I can't really say the same about like a, like a game like Days Gone, and I don't want to keep comparing this to that. It's just yeah. when when playing through this game, the first the my first thought about about Ghost of Tsushima when I really got into it was this has a shit ton of Days Gone's DNA and a shit ton of Horizon Zero Dawn's DNA. And Days Gone it's was funny. Having... I, di- I didn't see the Horizon in it, but I thought the Horizon because of its because because its open world felt a lot like Horizons. Um, it's uh, it, it's it's crafting and gathering system felt a lot like Horizon to me. Um, even it might just be I don't really remember Horizon all that well. That's totally fine. Uh, and, and, and it wasn't like a huge comparison. The, I felt the comparison much more with Days Gone in that quest structure. But yeah, the the pacing of every mission is it, it's perfect. No yeah. mission feels like a slog. It doesn't feel like oh god, when is this mission gonna end? No. You you get a mission and it's over within ten minutes, and yeah, they're yeah, all very, so interesting. And that's a very too. Kurosawa thing. Yeah, <laughs> that's, the plot is to the point. There's no like I was I told you I was watching Yojimbo the other day. Yeah, Yojimbo is an hour and a half long. Like the plot is extremely to the point. Very little fat. Um, yeah, but and yeah, this game respects your time. Like the loading times are super fast. I have an SSD, so I don't know if it's a little slower without it. But it, it like I couldn't read the the little messages I, it had on the loading screens. From what I understand, they had to make the loading times longer so that people could actually read those hints. Yeah. I I have not changed my my PS4 Pro's hard drive, and it was lightning fast. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I'm used to what like when I'm going into another mission, picking up my phone real quick, you know, looking at a notification. The minute I picked up my phone, I was in the it's, game. It's ready not to worth go. it. You like it's not worth it to like have those little distractions because you go to fast travel and you're there. It doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Side, com- side comment: those notes were actually very helpful because I was in the beginning of the game, I was killing all the deer I saw because I thought I would get. Oh, resources. you monster! And then and then <laughs> and then I saw the note that's like deer on the island of Tsushima. Are uh, considered holy. Now I felt bad. I it's, felt so bad. It's dear anymore. The rest of the it's game. It's really dear <laughs> in Japanese culture, like uh, entirely. There's uh, there's there, there's parks and places in in Japan proper, like around Tokyo, where you can go and feed the deer and and like they'll bow to you and you bow yeah. to them and stuff. Aww. Like deer. Well, I thought I thought that's sacred. how you got leather. That's why I was doing gotcha. it. Gotcha. You. I didn't, yeah. I hadn't encountered like the wild boar and whatnot murdering, yet. Mort- yeah. Murdering the poor deer. When I killed one deer and saw it didn't give me any anything, I was like, oh, oops. A, uh, a, a, I, guess a, I guess a quick thing I'll bring up, a funny anecdote. I, I was invading a Mongol camp, and um, there was a Mongol like taking or uh, tending to a horse. And I took out my bow, went to aim at the Mongol. And I was struggling a lot with the aiming mechanics at the beginning of the game for some reason. Uh-huh. So I shot an arrow at the Mongol. I missed and I killed his horse. Oh, <laughs> and no. I, felt, I felt so bad. Yeah, I, felt so I bad always try to avoid it. killing Dude, the horse. My horse like got that. so abused. Uh, oh God, we'll talk about it, but it hurts let's, so much to talk, talk about, about Nobu. Let's, let's talk about it right now. But, well, um, well, let me just make a quick note though about how it also respects your time since we're talking about the open sure, world. Yeah. More games need to be this small uh, in terms of open world. We don't, like you said, there was no yeah. fat to be cut. But also, you can fast travel to every single fucking thing you discovered. Yeah, like that's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I never, I never, I never had to like ride back not that i wouldn't have minded because it's a beautiful game but yeah um oh. npcs run with you when you run they hop on their horse when you hop on your horse that's the which thing. the witcher 3 did that too but this was one and this was one of the best 
I, I feel like we should finish talking about the characters before we get back to the horse. We we need to go back um, to the characters, but, but we keep getting sidetracked. <laughs> but um, I will say you you mentioned the horse and like movement. This is without a doubt, in my opinion, the best game horse ever. Oh yeah. In terms <laughs> yeah. of like no, and, and forget about the story. We'll get to that. In terms of just mechanically controlling. controlling the way it navigates the environment, like it will actually hop down rocks. Yeah. Like. Um, yeah, it unless, doesn't run into trees. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's very, very fluid. Is is a term used? I'll use throughout talking about this game. It's a very fluid game. Yes. Yeah. Totally agree. Um, and yeah, yeah. The I I I tried like throughout the game proper. Like I I rode my horse to and from as much as as much as I could. And then because like, you wanted to, yeah, yeah, because you because you want to. It's such a it's such a gorgeous such a gorgeous world. It is a condensed open world. And frankly, it might even be like mostly to scale with the actual island. Um, I I don't really know though. Mm. But it really does it really does respect the hell out of your time. Fast load times, all forty nine fox dens, all eighteen shrines, and everything in between can just be fast travel to. Um, yeah, they 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 really just empowered the player to play however they wanted to, even when it just comes to exploration, um, which is which is super cool. Uh, yeah, okay, let, let let's talk about these character tales. Uh, of, of the character tales that we want to talk about, I guess, because we, we had quite a few like specific character tales. We had Sensei Ishikawa, Lady Masako, uh, Kenji, Yuna, Norio, and uh, Yuriko. The the major ones being Ishikawa, Masako, y- Yuna, and Norio. Um, mm-hmm. Kenji and Yuriko kind of were condensed small ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, which one was which? Which like overall tale was your favorite? Oh god, that's so hard. <laughs> I would they... probably say Masako, but Ishigawa is a close second. Yeah. See, what I love about all of these, and it's very hard to choose. Like I said before, they all string out themes and link to Jin in many ways. All of these characters have some form of survivor's guilt. Yeah. And they also show the impact of war on the person. This is one of the things I love about this game and its story and its world is it's one of the most realistic. De- you wouldn't really think it on from the outside just looking at it. But as you dig into it, it's one of the most realistic depictions of actual war, especially in this time period. Yeah. Um, and you see that a lot in other just nameless side quests. Yeah. Like everything revolves around food, which is yeah. what... <laughs> In this time, especially given the time of year the game takes place, in those times, in late summer and fall, you're not fighting anymore. You're getting supplies ready to endure and camp in for winter. Like, that's how war worked. It paused during winter and battle resumed in the spring. It was all about logistics. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. Because um, there was this one side mission, and sorry, we'll get back to the main yeah, tale. Yeah, I'll, I'll but it's, it's related one. to food, and what Jason's point is like, uh, you're, you think you're just helping a woman get back her food from bandits, yeah. and you think it's just a fetch quest, and then when you return the f- bag of rice to her, she's like, oh, I really needed this bag of rice, and he's like, I thought it was yours. She's like, no, I'm just hungry. <laughs> and people yeah. like, complain about no choice. You don't have to kill those bandits. You can just steal, sneak up and steal the food. Oh, can you? Yeah. Hmm. 
I, it doesn't, but it, it doesn't like give you the choice like right up front. Like it does. It, no, it's, it's not like, like it's choice it, by play. Yeah, exactly. And granted, I'm not saying that there's a lot of choice in the game. Like people say, oh, these side quests suck. They're not anywhere as deep as The Witcher. Well, The Witcher is a very intimate character focused drama that lasts 100 plus hours. These side quests are just little things. But they all add up to create a world. And we'll get into that later with the setting. Anyway, back to the character side quests. Uh, I think my favorite three would probably have to be Yuna, Norio, and Yoriko. Favorite three? I said favorite. (laughs) I can't can't decide. (laughs) I can't do that. (laughs) Um, Just because of... I particularly like Norio because it's is an examination of just how much war can change a person. Yes. Yeah. Like he goes from being the shy. I, I want to say Norio. That's I, I played with, by the way, I, as a side note, I played with all um, Japanese with, uh, with um, subtitles. English subtitles. Yeah. yeah. So I'm thinking of how the, how, how he was, uh, Jin would always go Norio <laughs> and walk up to him. Um, but uh, he goes from being this meek little not little, he's he's a big guy, but yeah. meek guy um, who's ashamed of himself to God. In the final mission, you don't even partake in any of the killing. You wake up to find that he's abandoned you and gone to do it himself, and yeah. he burns down. A f- it's almost like um, the Final Fantasy VII scene with Sephiroth, the flames <laughs> in the background. Yeah. yeah. And he's enjoying burning these Mongols. Yeah. It's such a drastic character. He, he very much snaps. Yeah. After just, his brother dies. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not even after all... not even necessarily after his brother dies, but after seeing what they did to him. Yeah. Right. Like you find him totally dismembered and, and, and just like a, a t- as a totally broken man. Yeah. Right. And it, speaking to his character development when you first meet him there was a fight breaking out on the uh, on the monk uh, monastery. Is it called? What I, mean, I don't I don't know the term. Sanctuary. I don't I don't know. Whatever it is. I think monastery is fine. Um, it's, yeah, Jason, I, feel free to correct me. <laughs> um, I, I'm 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 trying to remember as well. I think it's monastery. Well, whatever. Um, it might have just been temple. Good enough. Temple, it's it's good enough go. for our temple purposes. Works. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a fight breaks out and. You know, Norio's the other monks are out there fighting, and and they need Jen and Norio's help. And Norio's like, no, I need to protect the temple. Like, there's, like, like this is my he th- that was his purpose, and he wouldn't even fight by their side. And then eventually he came in and came to his senses, and both him and Jin protected the temple and fought the Mongols off. But um, then for him at the end to be all about saving his people and the people of Tsushima, I think. Uh, I think Norio is probably my favorite overall character, but in terms of like the the overarching quest, I think it should be noted Yuna, who is probably my second favorite. She almost has the exact opposite arc, where she starts out very hardened, very nasty and cynical, and grows more vulnerable. Yeah. And you see her past trauma catch up with her. Yeah. And then the immediate trauma of losing her brother, the one thing that she became so hardened and brutal to protect. Yeah. Yeah. The um, she has a fucking panic attack in that one mission, and and you have to kind of go do it solo. The the mission where uh you have to go get the heads of the, the three, three slavers. Uh, yeah. yeah. 
which was that and that's another thing this game was very it was it, it was varied in a lot of ways and it was really varied in its mission variety and i i the, my immediate thought is like a longtime fan my, my mind went straight back to like sly cooper um in a lot of its missions where like there were missions where you'd have to tail someone and you'd be like going across logs and on uh, above them and like following them listening to their conversations just immediately shot back to a lot of missions where you do the same thing in sly cooper and mm-hmm. uh the, this this game like it throw missions at you where yeah you can't alert anybody and you have to find these three specific people and take their heads um there, there were there were missions where you just had to follow someone and listen to their conversation. Again, none of them taking too long to complete. Um, severe, just like extreme respect for your time, and a lot of them were really different. The a lot of the even even like the camps would be like completely different in how you could tackle them. They never really felt like, and no two really felt like quite the same. Maybe some of the smaller ones did, just because they're yeah. small. You can't really vary those up. But like the major, the major Mongol camps and stuff, or even like camps that they just took over, like those were so different from one another. But yeah, that that mission was that that going back to Yuna. That mission in particular was really really cool because it gave a lot of, it it showed Yuna as a character being very different having growth or maybe reverse growth um giving more history behind her character and it gave a really different type of mission for you to tackle Mm -hmm. uh, which is really cool and um yoriko i thought is also very important she only has like two quests yeah and it's not really much of a character arc for her as much as it is Jin reconnecting with his past yeah but it still and even though you don't really do much fighting in them um, I still felt a surprising amount of emotion in those missions. So, um, because it's it's very clear this this is an old woman. She used to be your handmaid, or nurse, or, or I, I'm not sure what exactly the name of the position would be. Yeah. Um, but uh, at this point, she's an old lady. She's clearly suffered a stroke and is sliding into into dementia. Um, she, I think she actually has a, a stroke during that last mission. So, um, a quick question for you guys: um, Did you feel from the from those two missions and from how it ended and everything? Did you get the impression that she did or didn't have an affair? Oh, absolutely! Okay. She's a homewrecker. <laughs> well, no, 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 because it it never um, it never implies that it was before she died. I mean, I, no, I, it wasn't before; I, it was after. Yeah, yeah, I have a feeling that definitely. Um, <laughs> She had feelings. It was for- right after. Yeah. Yeah. But it was definitely like right after. Yeah. Okay. I, I, Baby mom dead, handmaiden or whatever they're called. But, but the Let's interesting go. thing, there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of interesting, you know, romantic relationships in this game. Yes. Okay. I wanted to make sure that I, I, I picked up on that and it like, it could have been like a, a more familial uh, type of love, but like it, it seemed like there was something there and obviously it happened. It, it must have happened after Jin's mom passed away, and it makes sense uh, that that would have it's happened after. Subtle, but uh, like it wasn't made clear. But when one, she was trying to take a hot bath uh, in a hot spring with yeah. Jin because yeah. she thought Jin was his own father. Um, she was like, "Oh," and he's like, "What are we doing here? What are you trying to do?" So that indicates that they did have a sexual relationship. Yeah. Um, and then at the point where the mother died and. 
she, you know, the father like held her hand and she said, I was happy in that moment. Does that make me a bad person to be happy that she's dead? Yeah. And now I, mm -hmm. I'm getting this affection from him. Um, and another thing about that mission that I really liked is you saw her dying as each yeah. mission, like as the mission, uh, she clearly out. had a stroke at that last one because she just wanders off, which it, it's a lot of like a lot of people when they have a stroke, it's very common for them to lose a sense of where they are and just start walking around and yeah, slowly have start having like an aneurysm and yeah, even all kinds of other complications. Even the color of her face, like from the first mission you have with her, she's like normal colored, and then to the last mission you she she's kind of gray. Yeah, I I thought that was so done so well. I was like, this girl is gonna gonna die. Like you could tell. Yeah, there was a there was a ton of subtlety used with that with that tail. And uh, it was it was really well done. I also felt really bad and really guilty for asking of her to make these dishonorable, quote unquote, poisons to use against the Mongols. Yeah. Um, I, I felt that that was. She even hesitated at first, but she ultimately she ultimately um, conceded and did it because she knew what he wanted to that all he wanted to do was save his country. Yeah. And um, she was willing to help him in any way. And I feel like she also maybe had to do something like that for his father because his father also. Well, she she thinks that he's his father like half the right. time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and another interesting thing is that it's pretty clear that even though she loved Jin's father, she also was very close with his mother to her death. Yeah. Um, and in, in that flashback we see of the funeral procession for Jin's father – and this is another kind of world building thing. You know, she's we see her when she's younger leading Jin to Lord Shimura. Um, and he's, she's making comments about her mother, Jin's mother. And she's saying things like, you know, the birds and the foxes. Your mother believed these were her kami and they were always guarding over her. And obviously that plays into gameplay mechanics and yes. open world mechanics, which is pretty cool. Um, and she talks a lot about Jin's mother. So it, yeah. it's it's, it's you know, it's it's uh, I think the re relationships were done very maturely in this game. Um, and you can go over to uh, not just this one, but then you go to Lady Masako. Yeah. Um, who is having an affair during That's her relationship, maid. but she is very quiet about it and hides it. And she still loves her husband, just not in that same way. Um, and she want and she always wanted to be respectful to him. Um and there's yeah. another side quest that isn't even a main character one where people think this guy's really shady and from a village he's going off during the night. They think he's betraying them to the like giving information to the Mongols. Right. Um, it turns out he's just going to honor the grave of a man he was in love with. Um, but he was a married man and had a family. and he, he didn't want anybody to know that, you know, they were in a relationship. He right. didn't yeah. want to tarnish his memory. Right. Um, so it's interesting how they, it was very subtle. Um, you might not have picked up on a lot of it. And it was, yep. I just think handled very maturely. And it, it, it definitely was. And yeah, it, it like, there's a lot of, the, the, there's a lot of subtlety that if you, if you pick up on it, if you recognize it, you're, you're kind of rewarded. Um, or even if you don't, you're rewarded. It, it's, it's. There's not a I, I don't think there's a there's really a bad side story in this game. 
they're all they're all compelling they're all interesting even just like one-off side quests like delilah you brought up the one i think is most brought up which is the woman that claimed her her rice was stolen and it turns out she just needed food yeah like that that and again really short quest doesn't take Mm -hmm. all that long to complete but it's such an interesting story Mm mm-hmm um, Hell, even if so it is many, like a micro story, so many kids die in this game. Yeah, and it's done, but it's done so tastefully. Like, like yeah. you don't have to see just kids being mowed down. Usually, you just you follow some blood and you find like a a, a dead body and you cover it up. Um, and then you have to go you know, obviously report the bad news. The one I'm thinking of is in by the cove. There's the guy who's trying to get his family off off of the island. He makes a deal with the smugglers. Yeah. The smugglers kidnap his wife and child. And, and you, you just find them, and they're on a rock. You find yeah. and you find the toy and blood. bring it back. Yes. Yeah. And and the dude just breaks down. Yeah. There There's... there is uh one other side mission I want to talk about, but Mark, I feel like I haven't heard like what your favorite main tale. Oh yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My favorite main, my favorite character tale. <laughs> Again, that's really tough. <laughs> I um, I did really like Yuna's. It was it was concise and. She's such a she of of all the characters that we had character tales for. She's the most uh, I'd say important. Yes. To to the main plot, and so to get more it's context, funny she has like the shortest, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. She, well, one of the shortest, and like her and Yuriko. Yeah, and and also Kenji. Uh, yeah. Kenji was only like three quests, I think. But like Yuna's was, it gave a lot of, for such an important character, we didn't know a lot about her past. So to find out that she was kind of, her and her Taka both were kind of sold into slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was just like a really compelling, a really compelling tale. And for her to, you know, get revenge and also meet someone from her past uh, who kind of resents her for, for running away and not helping her. Yeah. Um, it's just it it gives her character so much more depth, and that's good considering how important of a character she is to to the plot. Um, I really I feel like hers before... should have been a pro, like a required one though, because it does add to Taka as well. Yeah, and Taka yeah. is a very if there's any side character that's like really pivotal to Jin's story, it's Taka, which you don't even expect, you know, because it's just he's just her blacksmith brother. I honestly thought saving him would just give me access to my first blacksmith. Right. Um, but no, he he becomes such an integral character, making your ghost armor and just looking up to you so highly, and frankly sacrificing himself for the greater cause. Um, which was the first time I really saw Jin show some emotion. Yeah, was when Taka mm-hmm. died. For for a character that isn't, he's not like he's not like a warrior. He's not a samurai. He he he's not one to really run headfirst into the action he was one of if not the bravest character in the entire game he's uh yeah. he's the embodiment of one of the main themes and this is why i said earlier probably the most relevant kurosawa film to this movie or this game sorry is uh seven samurai yeah. if you're not familiar with seven samurai the basic plot synopsis is seven samurai hired to defend this town from a bunch of bandits they end up also training the townsfolk, these just common peasants, to fight. And the townsfolk end up helping the samurai fend off the bandits. And kind of the final line of the movie is, one, one of the samurai says, 
this victory does not belong to us, it belongs to them. Obviously, the movie is about the power of community, the power of the common man when he's given hope. Right. And that nice. theme is very much embodied in Taka. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what? First of all, the way that Taka went out was brutal. Like, that just showed how much of an asshole Kotun Khan was. Yeah. The way he just, like, killed him and then grabbed his head, ripped it off his body, and put it in Jin's face. Um, that was super brutal, super sad, and uh, also um, just related to Taka and Yuna, I was curious if I read into this too much or if it was implied that they, obviously they were slaves, but like there was also some like sexual, like child, like molestation there. I picked up on that a little bit too. Yeah. I think that, again, I think there was, I think they tried to be subtle about it because this this game at no point like points to something and says see see what we're trying to say here right, no they're right. very subtle about it but they make it in a way so that you can pick up on it really easily and yeah. there's a lot of I, I have a lot of respect for that uh, but I did pick up on that a little bit too okay okay and then the other thing about you and I wanted to say I usually don't like romance in games um, it usually just feels like a boring piece of the story uh, and in this game I so bad wanted Jin to like bang her because. <laughs> Every time he would go into the hot spring and he would say, I haven't been touched by a woman in yeah. so long. And he like mentions, you knew, he mentions her by name at one point, like maybe Yuna should join me. If you, yeah. if you use the right reflection, yeah. And so like I think and this happens in a lot of Japanese anime where like romance is implied, but you'll never see the explicit like kissing or hugging or whatever. But I kinda like for the first time in a video game really wanted that for Jin. Like I wanted to know that he finally like was touched by a woman um but but i do like that their romance was very subtle i think and it's kind of implied at the end that they're living together i don't know did you guys get that i no i don't think they were living together i think that they were both it's it was handled well because i you, i feel like you could either look at it either way it's either it is romantic or it isn't romantic but one thing's one thing that can't I be think denied is romantic I mean, one thing that just can't be that that can't be understated is just the the the, the friendship the two of them had, the bond that the mm. two of them have, mm. no matter whether or not they're romantic or not. Um, it's 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 there and it's strong. Yeah. Um, I I, d- I definitely agree. It doesn't need to be romantic for the story to work. It's just again, it all it all comes back to what I've been saying: subtlety. Yep. Yeah. Even with their even with their ending with with Jin coming with Jin coming back from killing the Khan and and just slinging slinging him her her slinging him around her her shoulders to carry to help carry him back like it didn't matter if there was romance or not you could take it either way um but it it, it the subtlety of it i respect a lot because it wasn't yeah. in your face you could take it you could take it either way and it doesn't really matter mm. um maybe it'll maybe it'll matter or be a, a more important plot point in the sequel uh what we, we'll we'll talk about later um the only time it was a little obvious is when uh, Yuna brought in that that bow guy to help them fight the last mission, and he was like, "Oh, he seems to really care about you, huh?" And she was like, "Oh, that was the past." Yeah. Like, I forgot that guy's name. I'm not sure. He, the hunt. You're talking about the hunter, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. There's definitely definitely a little bit of tension of like jealousy there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that. That was fun. But. Yeah, I, I really liked Yuna's side story. I really liked um <laughs> I really liked Kenji. I do too. He was, he was just such a, he was such a goofball 
And I honestly was a little worried that he was at some point going to betray you in some way. But no, he was just, he was very much like at first fending for himself. Facilitates your fucking escape. Yeah. Yeah. At like the lowest point. And uh, yeah, he, yes, he does. And he, he was, he seemed like he was very much out for himself, but especially after the death of Taka, he's like, no, I'm all in. Like he, 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 he was like, you know, he was like my best friend and they, and they killed him. No, I'm all in. I'm helping you no matter how I can't do much, but whatever I can do, I will do it for you. Um, (laughs) With Kenji, I'm uh, I liked Kenji. I've seen criticisms of the game as a whole that um, it takes itself a bit too seriously. And it was funny because, again, watch, I keep bringing it up, watching Yojimbo the other <laughs> night. Yojimbo actually is in many ways a comedy of errors, not in the sense that the main character is very clever and witty. He's playing two gangs off of each other. And it's just funny watching these gangs be so stupid and so manipulated by this wandering Ronin and basically end up destroying each other. And then final sword fight, he takes care of. But, um, there was a lot of levity. The movie, I was laughing out loud at points hmm. um, at the just 1960s slapstick comedy. Mm-hmm. But um, it made me think for a little while, maybe there is something to that, that especially more early on in the game, more levity would have helped it be a bit faster considering how slow Mark and I talked about this while we were playing, how much... Not too much, but the beginning, the opening act definitely feels a little bit slower than the rest of the game. Yeah, to the point where I was concerned for a bit that, like, nothing really much was going to happen. I became concerned about the spoiler cast, thinking, like, well, not really much is going to happen in the story, it seems. That, what are we going to talk about? And after the first act, like, it all just explodes from there. It's definitely a roller coaster type plot where... You got that slow, not too slow, but like a slower drag for the buildup. And then the second act, even though there's technically more you have to do, goes very fast. Yes. Yeah. Um, The first act was just to introduce you to the open world mechanics and and get used to combat. The third act is just punch after punch after punch. Mm -hmm. And that's why. And also. The reason I kind of came to the conclusion that I think they just hit the a good spot with the amount of levity with just this Kenji character was that ultimately the world they were creating, as we've kind of talked about a couple times, um, it's a very bleak and tragic world plagued by war. And I think maybe a little more comedy might have ruined that tone. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think they hit it just, just on the head with what they needed. Agreed. And as it relates to Kenji, like he didn't have many quests that were part of his tale, but they were always like, Yo, you should go take out those Mongols. They they have all these resources that they stole from towns, and then you go kill them all. And Kenji shows up. He's like, "Oh, cool! I can give these back to, uh, I can give these back to somebody or whatever." Yeah. Like it was it was very much like he would swindle you into doing the right thing for a different reason than he tells you. But that thing that that reason is still noble. It's just yes, he figured you'd be less likely to do it uh, if he told you the truth. And, he's, yeah. he's devious and incompetent, but at the same time, he always he's always trying to do the right thing. Like he's like he's like chaotic good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like if, if yeah, on like an alignment chart, he's like chaotic good. Yeah, I, I really yeah. love that about him. Um, 
he didn't have many quests, but they were all they they were all enjoyable because of of his character alone. Yeah. Um. I I I I think I'll just end it. I think of the character tales. I feel like the one that had the weakest ending was uh, Lady Masako's. Mm-hmm. Um. Her like the quests. The the quest line itself had a lot of memorable moments. A lot of interesting moments. Uh. We talked about the uh, the E3 demo shown was actually part of her tale. It's ostensibly a side quest, but that was so memorable. That was like the high point of it. It was like midway through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you 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 save this monk, and she's like ready to kill him because she is convinced he had a he he played a part in the murder of her clan, and you wind up fighting her. Her thinking that the Mongols have already won, and her just kind of giving up. And after you defeat her, but you know, obviously, don't kill her. Mongols swarm you and you fight together you fight together again Jin flat out tells her like don't ever try to kill me again yeah (laughs) and like they're just they're they're fine again after that it's it says a lot about their characters and the maturity of them um but the ending boiling down to raiding and 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 attacking her sister uh I don't know It, it it it's it wasn't bad but I think of all the primary character tales we got it was definitely the weakest in terms of an ending well, I think uh, it, it was uh, implied that her sister had killed her clan, like the kids and everything. Yeah, her um, sister had a grudge. It was out. Yeah, it was outright. Sister. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't implied. It was outright stated, basically. Yeah, yeah. and uh, in in the end, like you thought, like her sister had a just had a grudge, and and like to think that for that the reason there was no good reason why she could have killed children, let alone their whole clan. But then you find out later that she was pretty much like abused, yeah. you know, by the person that Lady Masako had her stay with. And she blamed um, her for that entirely. Yeah. I think I think, Mark, the reason you say it had the weakest ending is because unlike any of the other characters, well, not unlike any of the other ones, but of like the big characters like Ishikawa, Masako, um, Yuna, Norio. Yeah. Um, she's the only one with a flat character arc. So basically she starts one way and she's tempted to devolve into just this brutal murderer out of vengeance. But at the end, she comes back to her senses. Unlike Ishikawa, Norio, and Yuna, who all have transformations. Yes. I I think that, that you hit the nail on the head. Um... I, I, I think that is why. And, and like, again, Masako's story, super interesting. Totally. Has great moments. Yeah. It, 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 like, it ended, it still ended strong. It was, of of the ones that we got, it was the weakest. I really, really liked Ishikawa's, uh, Sensei Ishikawa's ending with mm-hmm. um, Tomoe the escaping and, and, yeah, leaving the note, leaving the bow, and leaving her life behind, essentially. Um, it gave both of them closure and uh just lots of like a general in general like there were just lots of strong character moments uh in this game um that you could easily miss and what made it extra good is you always didn't know who was going to turn their back on you the whole time exactly i i did call it from a mile away during uh the the sensei ishikawa um storyline that the woman you you were helping with the traps and everything yeah. i knew yeah, immediately yeah. like oh this is yeah Tom- this is tomoe well yeah. and it's interesting because at first i was like this is so lame like you, it's obvious that it's her 
And you but thought, I like, felt like I felt like they specifically did that to create dramatic irony. Yes, because we're supposed to think that Jin doesn't know, but it turns out that he Jin knew all along. Yeah, yeah. Which, which, like, yeah, it was really well done. It was really cool. Um, I think we can talk about just the other characters before we move on to the la- the last bits of uh, conversation. Um, the, the other the the main character that I want to bring up that we have not talked about once yet, Ryuzo. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of it's kind of weird how we haven't talked about Ryuzo yet. I he was actually in the whole first act. He was my favorite character. Yeah, <laughs> which I made his Ryuzo. which made his yeah. betrayal sting the most because in that first act we talk about how slow the buildup was, and how I was kind of worried about the story once Jean and Ryuzo met up, and started like. Their, their banter, their discussion of their history together, it was it was definitely a, a turning point for like a lot of this a lot of that story it just seemed kind of flat and didn't seem like it was going anywhere. F- their banter did give that levity a little bit. Yeah. Um, and it made it gave me the uh, it gave it, it, we immediately picked up on the history, their their duel and um just like the 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 weird friendly tension between the two of them. The frenemies, yeah, rivals. Yes, yeah. and uh, it's, it's almost like uh, in Yakuza. What's his name? <laughs> I, I already forgot his name. Uh, uh, Nishiki? Ma- Nishiki, Nishiki, yes, Nishikiyama, yeah. Um, yeah, I he was my favorite character, and it made his his betrayal during the last mission of Act One all the more uh, sting, all the more. Um, it was well executed. Yeah. yeah, and then and 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 you know he he wasn't just like. He he wasn't just a sellout. Yeah, he was looking out. He was looking out for his men. Um, mm-hmm. He had a clear reason for doing it, and it's not even that he was happy about it. Like Kotan Khan was forcing him to light his own people on fire, and he yeah. he struggled with that. Mm-hmm. And that was th- that was a super powerful cutscene of him shouting for them to open the gate because mm-hmm. yep. he didn't want to have to murder another one of his countrymen. And yeah. especially in that way, lighting, setting them on fire alive. Like, that was a really powerful scene, yeah. for sure. Even when you face Ryuzo again, when you're taking over um, the Mongol army in the third act, I think, or the end of the second act. Yeah. yeah. Before you poison um, everyone. Yeah, Ryuzo kind of comes to his senses and wants to join you in fighting the Mongols. But I think at that point, Jin just doesn't trust him and yeah. feels like he's already done too much damage and should kind of like just step away from the whole situation, period. Yeah. I think he's just I think he was just afraid of dying. Yeah, and he's, he's just trying to appeal to Jin's uh, their the memory of their friendship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I honestly almost wish we got some sort of flashback or at least more info on their history but we kind of get some of that uh even when we meet up with yoriko because she mm-hmm. brings up like them playing as kids i think yeah and yeah. uh gives a little more history it, it he he was a really good character um i really liked him i liked him as a character obviously he wasn't necessarily a good person but i liked him as a character and and thought he was a really powerful inclusion that shouldn't be ignored yes um he also serves as a good like checkpoint along Jin's path of like at that point in the story he hasn't fully embraced this growing story of the ghost that's something more that Yuna is pushing. Yeah. 
but it does serve as like a metaphorical point in the plot where Jin is kind of symbolically skewing his past. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that we want to bring up in terms of story? I mean, like things can unfold as we go. I just want to make sure there's nothing else that you guys urgently want to talk about before we move on to things like combat and the open world itself. Uh, I just, I just think it should be mentioned, even though in the beginning we said Kotun Khan uh, was, he's kind of pretty, a pretty straightforward character. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's looking for a legacy for a story. He wants to be remembered. Um, And that's kind of, he tries to equate himself to Jin and he does so when he interrogates him where he talks about, you know, how he'll do anything for victory and, and all this stuff. But while there isn't necessarily much depth to Kotun Khan, I think the way they presented him gave him a lot of breath. Like he was, he was, he was, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. He was a memorable villain without really being in depth, I guess is, is all I can say. Like, yeah, like just the way he approaches every situation. When Taka, when Taka takes the sword, instead of killing Jin, as Cochin Khan says, you know, kill him and I'll let you free. Obviously, Taka tries to kill the Khan. Mm-hmm. The Khan, he doesn't just kill him. He kicks Taka to the ground, snaps his arm, and then cuts his head off and holds it in front of Jin and says, I'll go find another one of your friends and we'll have to do this all over again. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that. that is a fucking villain. Like, if you're going to do a pretty straightforward villain, that's how you do it. You, yeah. For, for well, sure. what makes him also memorable is he's giving people options to, like, join him so yes. that his reign could be more powerful. So, like, he gives really alluring reasons why they, they should join him, including Lord Shimurai, including Jin, um, and, and Ryuzo, who actually fell for it in a sense. Um, and that's what that's what made him so memorable without actually knowing too much of his motivations besides him trying to have power yeah. and take over the land of Tsushima. And that goes, again, to, like, the whole everything ties back into the whole world of the game because remember Tsushima is just a stepping stone for the, the, him and the Mongols. Yeah. Um, and actually, if you dig into the records, like that little collectibles that you find, yeah. like it, it talks about the politics within the Mongol empire itself. Yep. Kotu and or Kotun, I'm sorry. And Kublai Khan at the time, I think it's Kublai. Yeah. Yeah. Ku- yeah. Kublai yeah. Kublai Khan. Khan and Kotun Khan are, there's some inner strife there. And Kotun Khan is looking to use Tsushima as a launching pad against mainland Japan and then hoping to use all of those resources back against his internal enemies. So there are dynamics going on there, too, as well that are kind of accentuated by like, hey, fuck it. Like, you you can just join me. (laughs) Like, we don't have to do this. You can just fight for me. And he does. And he does get that from Ryuzo and the Ronin uh, under Ryuzo, the Straw Hats. Uh, they do wind up fighting for him uh, because they're because it, it results in them being fed. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah it, there, like he is a memorable villain for those reasons, for sure. Go ahead. Delilah. There was just two more things I wanted to say before we move on away sure. from the story. Um, the 
the crying was really bad in this game. That's my one criticism. Like when Yuna was crying over Taka's death, I was like, I was really moved, but then the crying looks so fake yeah. that it kind of took, like, I just laughed. I was like, oh my God. I don't know if you guys felt the same way about the, the facial expressions, period. The, in the ending, when Lord Shimmer is crying, I thought that was well done. But I see what you're saying overall. Lord Shimura looked good, but Yuna, yeah. for some reason, looked because a little pasty. He wasn't breaking down. He was like, he was crying while maintaining like a stoic look. Right. Yeah. yeah. That was effective. Yeah. But the Yuna I, I, crying I think, over Taka was. Ugh. I think a lot of it, again, has to do with we just came off of playing a game where so much money and time was invested in the mocap and the, mm-hmm. um, the facial animation. Yeah, a lot of those and, intricate details. Yeah, and this game wasn't... That wasn't really the focus of this game. Yeah. Uh, but it didn't change from feeling uh, the emotion. Um, yeah, and then... So the other thing I wanted... Actually, two things I wanted to say about this. That made, there's three altogether. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, uh, I'll, I'll be quick. <laughs> there was one side mission called The Whisper in the Woods. It was in the Yagata Island. And you're basically, like, in this really dark forest. Yes. And it's heavy fog. And they have like this really like eerie music and cryptic cryptic notes that's like kind of horror-esque. And yes. it makes you feel like that they're gonna get into the mythical aspects of like of Japan, like Yokai or or Shinigami, which is just like like ghosts or or death gods or something like that. I thought that they were gonna go that direction. There's a lot of Shinto out, and Kami references, yeah. But then it turns out that it was just like bandits, like trying to inflict fear and make it seem like something supernatural but it wasn't which i really appreciate that they didn't go into that realm because a lot of a lot of japanese uh even even uh uh sekiro uh went into like the supernatural aspects of of japan and i'm actually like mythical i'm really happy you brought that up because it's something i do kind of want to bring up real quick about jin's character he's a very spiritual person but he's in no way superstitious. Yeah. He mm-hmm. he still he does believe in the kami obviously like and like he he follows the influence of his mother and the foxes and everything and the honored shrines regularly Shinto shrines, the Inari shrines. He is he is a very spiritual person, but if someone brings up, "Oh, I fucking saw a ghost in the woods." He's like, "No, you didn't." Yeah. <laughs> like they don't exist, you fucking idiot. Like <laughs> stop. Yeah. And he goes and disproves them constantly. Like it's it's a really cool aspect of his character where he is he is very spiritual, but he also recognizes um, yeah, the Yam- reality. Of- I love I love his reactions to Yamato every time like he brings up a new mystic quest. Yes. It's like I'm being hunted <laughs> by a demon. It's like yeah, no, you're being hunted by Mongols. Yeah. <laughs> um, Delilah, what was the other thing you wanted to bring the up? The last thing is we didn't talk about the horrors. Thank you. That, I, I thought of it while while Jason was talking. It was like, shit, there is one more thing we got to talk about in the story. We didn't talk about the horrors. Because I don't want to talk about. I don't want to talk. I don't want to think about Nobu. I've, so you're okay. Oh, so yours was named Nobu. So, I had Kage. So, okay. So wait, wait, wait. What? What? Like what? Were, what color horse did you guys pick too? White. So, so I picked you the had gold white one Nobu with the. Uh, the deluxe Sorry. edition. The deluxe edition, yeah. And he only because was... I paid for it. And he was. Kage. I wanted the black one, Kage. Yeah. yeah. Um. Oh, I, see, I I didn't get the the black one until later. I don't. Was there an option for black in the beginning? I don't remember. There was, yeah. There was black, brown, white, and if you had the deluxe edition, uh, the gold horse. Yeah. Uh, I didn't. I didn't pick the gold one at all. Like for either <laughs> horse, I thought it was like, 
I don't want to I don't want to be forced to pick that one because I paid for it and I also yeah. just like didn't like it that much to begin with. Like I my my first horse was um white and I named him Soda. Um, not because of Kingdom Hearts, Jason. I knew, I knew you would. <laughs> when I saw the option, I was like, "Yup, he's gonna do it." It, it wasn't because of Kingdom Hearts. It was because I I liked the White Horse most, and from the names given, I felt Soda, meaning sky, was the most fitting. Yeah. So I chose that, and um, at the end, I like trust because he's my trusty companion. At the <laughs> at the end, I chose like the grayish horse, um, and named him Kage. Yeah, what, I. What was your guys' second? Name so, my... Yeah, I named I named mine Kage, and I, ch- I chose the black one. Yeah. Okay. I named my second horse Sora, and I was gonna name it Kaze, which was the option you didn't get in the beginning, which yeah. is wind. Um, but they give you that option so that you can have something that you can't pick the same name as your first yeah. horse, which makes sense. Oh, with dishonor. Uh, but you could pick memory. the same horse, which was weird. I did not <laughs> like that. Uh, but yeah, I, I named him uh, Sora the second time. Okay. Yeah, I picked a I picked a white horse in the beginning because as soon as they gave you that choice, I'm like, oh, I feel something ominous coming. Coming, and if you've seen the Never Ending Story, obviously the white horse Treyu, he uh, ah. sinks in the swamp. Oh. I see it was I feel like it was nice choosing the white horse because I realized as I played through as playing through the game i think there was only one primary character that also had a white horse pretty much everybody had didn't not many characters had white horses so i felt kind of unique in my choice of having a white horse the only other character i recognized had a white horse i believe was yuriko um yeah so i felt i felt kind of special in 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 my choice which was which was cool and then it made it all the more um damaging when and it wasn't even mongols it was your it was it was the shogun and his army yeah shooting down your horse as you're escaping from from imprisonment um hell and that horse carries you a good ways that was finally does probably the most emotional i got during this game yeah it's the only scene i cried like a bitch at (laughs) (laughs) and and they make that not only do you bury your horse they make it a place you can fast travel to yeah yep and it's like um, it's like, I think it's like grave of no, of the of a loyal friend or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of I I forget the exact name of the fast travel point, but yeah, like that sounds hands down the most emotionally impacted I was during this game. And and the music too that played during that scene. Yeah. Made it, and the music is and so good in this game. That was probably my favorite environment in the entire game. Um, that area that just, it looks like that scene in Mulan after the Huns have come through mm-hmm. and destroyed mm-hmm. that village. Yeah. That's because that's literally what it is. The Mongols have come through the entire area is burned. It's yeah. Just the endless dust forest. But is that the place you were talking about earlier? Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's even though it's not nearly as colorful or anything as the rest of the game, it was my favorite just because of the emotions just the scenery alone, but everything else like, in tandem. Like I, like I said earlier, it's 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 beauty and destruction. It's it really is it really is something special. Like just how much uh, how much the art direction really really assisted this game in 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 its in its presentation and in its it's it's just general setting. And it heightens the story. Mm-hmm. It yeah, like I said, it was most most emotionally impacted I was throughout the entire game. 
Um, and that that's and that's not to say this had a shortage of emotionally impactful moments. There were plenty. Like we talked about, we talked about Ryuzo crying out to open the gate. We talked about Taka's death, which also uh, they they give this a trophy um, at 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 Taka's grave, playing the. Um, mm-hmm. Song of Storm. Yeah, for for lack of lack of remembering the name, we'll just go with the name of it as it is in Zelda, the Song of Storms. <laughs> um, which which was which was you know they they tro they trophyified it, but it was still um, a neat thing that that they kind of honored in some way. Yeah, and if you bow at his grave, which I did, uh, a bunch of butterflies uh, fly around you. Yeah, which was cool that they they. they had those a lot. I, I told you guys about it in Slack. The first, the first one that I found, there's that one frog shrine, that yeah. f- the frog Shinto shrine, and I saw the little signpost next to a bunch of statues of frogs to bow. So I did, and, and then the like hundreds of frogs just jump out, and I was like, I was like laughing my ass off. There's also a dragonfly one where like a swarm. I did it. The yeah. swarm of dragonflies will there, come around. There were a yeah. lot of them. The dragonflies. The fish would jump in the water. The uh, the ones where you bowed and a bird would come and perch on the statue or whatever. None of them came even close to the to the frogs though. The yeah. frogs was hilarious. Yeah. Totally. Especially finding that not through like a guide, but just find seeing that and organically doing it without knowing it's going to do something. Yeah, because it was at a shrine. Yeah. It was it was so cool. Very um, cool. So yeah, like if if more story beats pop in, like we we can talk about them. But I think well, let's let's jump into like the combat a little bit. Yeah. Um, I already kind of stated that I I kind of role played throughout the game, like starting off more as a samurai and ending, uh, you know, as a mix of both, mostly doing ghosts because that's that's kind of what Jin was embracing at the time. So I started embracing it more and more. Um, did you guys it, like? By the end, I guess you guys were using lots of ghost mechanics, uh, even even early on. How did we it feel was always about a mix. the? Yeah, I this game very much. I approached it like, again, like a Batman game, because I very much felt like that's what they were going for with this game. Was this is fucking, you know, Samurai Batman <laughs> like, <laughs> and that's not to say that I relied exclusively on like stealth and ghost weapons because that's not at all how I approached it. Like. Mm-hmm. I would use those as needed. I might mm-hmm. walk up to a battlefield, hop down, do a chain assassination to thin out the herd, then engage in just the straight-up combat, which I loved. I I loved engaging in the sword play as much as possible simply because of how fun I found it. Yeah. But I would also intersperse, you know, smoke bombs. Um, I loved the bow. This is probably my favorite bow <laughs> in almost any game. I, I don't know why. It just gelled with me very easily i felt like it was very easy to control and mm-hmm. i was able to pull off exactly what i needed to do very quickly my only um, um again fast and fluid is how i uh how i would frame the game mm-hmm. my only complaint about using the bow um was that it was also like aiming with the bow was also tied to switching to like throwable things and yeah. sometimes that's hard to or it, it's hard to do when the action doesn't slow down because it just recognizing recognizes that you're aiming, and if you want to switch from something to another thing, uh, you have to be really quick about it. And know going in, know exactly what it is you want to do and what you need. To a do. lot of weapon wheels in this game. There's yeah. a lot of yeah. there's a lot of options and freedom, which I think is one of the biggest strengths of the game, is that you can 
go at it however you want. You can have your fun, but it does it takes up a lot of real estate on the controller. And I'm okay with that because if we like in my comparison to Horizon Zero Dawn and even we can go back and and have a have a complaint that I had with Final Fantasy 15 like two a major complaint I had with both of those games was if you want to switch up your arsenal you have to stop everything and go into a pause menu mm-hmm. and re-equip like different weapons and this game yeah. gets rid of that like it's not a thing in this game whatsoever everything is available to you just purely while you're in the action and like it's it's a little difficult and you have to be very very quick about it when you want to yeah. switch to something but at least I don't have to go into a fucking menu to do it and I love no, it. I yeah. The I only agree. thing you had to go in the menu for was for the armor, which kind of bothered me a little bit. I wish there was like a quick button to get to change your armor pieces because like when I'm traveling the world, I like to use a traveler's armor because when you're by a collectible, it vibrates. And then when I was going to stand off with the enemy, I wanted to put on the Sakai clan armor to get the extra uh, like one hit kills. I think you could get up to five with the Sakai clan yeah, armor if, so... if it's fully upgraded and then switch to the ghost armor so that I can uh, get uh, the, the ghost attack built up quicker. So than I would wearing other armor. In terms of gear, I roleplayed that too. Basically, yeah. up until I got the Sakai clan, the Sakai clan armor. Yeah. And bear in mind, I was I was doing all the mythic quests as well, which we didn't really talk about. We can we Same. can we can circle back to those. I I, I, I did them all as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I did them all as I went, but up until I got the Sakai clan armor, I only exclusively used traveler's gear. Mm-hmm. because I just loved the way he looked in it. Yeah, and that it was just, the coolest it looking. Was just, it was so cool. I had like the red the red dye on, and it just looked like he was he was a traveling samurai. Once I got the patchwork straw hat, I put that yeah. on. I didn't wear a mask. Like There were so many masks in this game and headbands and, and headgears and whatever, and I ignored all of them in favor of having no mask and the patchwork straw hat on with the traveler's gear because I just loved the look of it. It was so cool, yeah. like going up, if you go up to like, you know, fight the Ronin that that you can duel uh, in, the, in the latter half of the game or even the mythic quest, it's just like so cool seeing this person decked out in like armor or whatever. And you're just there in like your regular garb with your cape flowing in the wind and your and your yeah. straw hat. You just seemed like so badass to me to have Jim yeah. like like that. And then uh, like once I got the Sakai clan armor, I put that on because I felt like that 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 was that was the time and the place for that. And then when the ghost armor got introduced, that was the time and place to wear that. Right. And I just one of the mistakes I feel the game does make is that. So in terms of. Um... This game is very, very, very light on its RPG elements. Um, most of its RPG elements are really have have very little impact. It's very mechanics heavy, is what I'm trying to say. The game is very focused on the combat system. Um, uh, aside from increasing your resolve meter and your health meter, um, the charms, most of them. Don't do that. Like you can take them out, and you won't notice a difference. Um, there are very, there are very few abilities earned through charms and gear that have, like you were stating before, Delilah, um, the additional kills on the, um, what do you call it? the standoff? The ghost, yeah. yeah. And then the ghost meter increasing yeah. it faster. Those and 
being able to find things in the open world through the vibration on the controller, those are uh, out of like maybe less than 10 concrete things that you can get on like your gear and your charms. And I feel like it was a mistake tying those things to specific pieces of gear um, because I felt like a lot of people were torn between the cosmetic look of the character and the abilities associated thereon. Like I was like totally. you guys, I was I was almost always using the traveler's armor from most of the game, just because I wanted to be able to get all my collectibles and whatnot, and also because I liked the look of it. See, I didn't even care I, about the collectibles until really late because I just like I knew I'd get to them eventually, and I knew with the, especially with the wind upgrades that you can get, like it wouldn't per- be particularly hard to find them. Yeah, but I like like I, I just loved the look of it. The look of that armor was like the coolest look to me. Yeah, that and oh, sorry, go. No, I was just gonna say the thing about the armor that's really cool is as you upgraded it, it looks different with each upgrade, yeah, like aesthetically. And then and then you could change the dyes at any time, which like and you can go back. Be real, black dye. Let's go like all day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Although I did put the white on to like have the blood effect on my on my cape and take a few screenshots, Uh, but and you get that one uh that one headband, the headband of death. It's just the white one, but it's got blood splattered all over yeah. it, and the red, uh, the red kanji. But um, yeah. But I, I, I guess what I'm, I was just trying to say before, I, f- I feel like gear obviously should have had stats, as which they do as you upgrade them. But um, I think they do. I don't remember. I, I feel like there should have been there, there should have been um, just the you. They should have just taken those concrete things, as and made those the charms. And had the gear be just yeah, a, like a little more stat based, and you upgrade them, and that's it. There's no like special abilities tied to them, totally so that they're agree. more cosmetic. Yeah. I think I think what could have been like you unlocking that piece of gear unlocks those upgrades, and the upgrades can be moved between pieces of gear. Yeah, like like if you up if you upgrade yeah like your, transmog transmog yeah. and like yeah yeah and like you, like if you upgrade your traveler's gear the the um the upgrades that come with it get upgraded with it, but you don't have, you don't, you're, those aren't locked to when you're using traveler's gear. They just upgrade when you upgrade that gear specifically. Right. Um, that I, th- I would have liked that too, because it would have got made more use out of the things I was unlocking with the gear, because as cool as like the, the, the Gos- the Gosaku armor was like from the, from the, um, the, uh, mythic tale. Yeah. Like I, I, again, I didn't, I liked the look of the travelers so much that I, that's all I wanted to use because of how it mm-hmm. looked, not even because of its abilities. And like some of those abilities, I never wound up, I never wound up experiencing some of those benefits. I, I never wound up experiencing because I, I just the, never uh, equipped it. I love the archer one, especially because of how much I use the bow and it, it does give you a significant boost in concentration time. Yeah. Um, the if, you're, if you're using the bow a lot, I think what they were trying to go for is that they wanted to give you abilities that don't, change the core of the combat all that much but they do accentuate certain play styles yeah just just a tiny bit to give you a little bit of a boost in whatever you're leaning towards um i felt like it would have been better just to have get rid of most of the most of the charms are useless yeah Um, they they overload you with so many yeah most of them are useless even some of the golden charms that you get from the shrines don't do anything really they're so specific like some of them are like um using like using um like a black powder bomb can also like 
poison them or something. I don't, I don't, I don't remember specifics, but, yeah, he, but yeah, a lot the of them are chime. so specific. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Mm-hmm. But uh, honestly, that's that's fine because I actually prefer the fact that this game is so light on its RPG elements I, because I like how involved the combat system is and your true progression. And I think that was their intent throughout the game. The true progression is the skill tree and how combat changes throughout the game. So like you start the game and take, for example, spearmen will have that red attack that you can't block. You can only dodge it, but then you get the ability to um, parry it, to parry it. Um, then you get the ability you can unlock to perfect parry it, in which case you can immediately counterattack. And then by the end of the game, you fully unlock the ability that as you're attacking a spearman, if they attack you, you automatically parry it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's that progression that's ultimately more important than any gear. So I feel like they should have just... Yeah, I agree. I tried to mix and match charms just to play around and see how effective it was. Like there was one Mongol camp that I just wanted to go full stealth on and I put every single stealth charm that I possibly could. And the stealth is so easy in this game and the AI are so dumb that you didn't really need all of that. But I was just like, I could literally be right next to a Mongol and they didn't notice me. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's like all it really did. But the only charm that I found really effective was um, increasing uh, the... Uh, it's easier to perform parries yes. um, because I, because uh, I playing coming from playing Sekiro where like the timing of the parries was very specific. This game was a little different. For the the timing was a little different, so I had to like make some adjustments. Mm-hmm. But putting that charm on made it feel more like Sekiro in yeah. terms of the parry. I always had that one equipped as well. Yeah, um, and that's what, yeah, that's the, what I mean. Like that's that's the kind of charm that they should have been focused on like a charm that take the ability that increases concentration time from the archer set, make that a charm. Yeah. Rumbling where you find stuff in the environment. If you could assign charms to armor. Right. Like like specific armor pieces. That would be Take those abilities, take them off of the armor, make them to the charms, get rid of all the other bullshit charms. Yeah. And then you can just put the charms in wherever. Like if anything, when you unlock, when you unlock gear, it comes equipped with those with those charms and that represent those abilities, and you can unequip them and equip them as you wish. And I and I I totally agree with that. I wish that, that was the case, and that there were less. Honestly, get rid of all the minor charms. Just give me major yeah. charms and give me a lot less of them, and yeah. I would have been a lot happier with that system. It also would have helped if the menus had more of an organizational structure. Like I wish that by the end of the game, like. I ran out of things to do. I did everything. I went and found every piece of vanity gear. I didn't have to do any of that. I wanted to because I I was having so much fun with the game. And it became a huge problem with the vanity gear in particular. I go to like find (laughs) a specific headband and I have this giant list of like a hundred headbands and I'm scrolling through trying to find the right one. And like it's not even just headbands, but there's also there's like helmets and there's there's all these different straw hats, yeah, straw hats. It would have been so nice to have like you go to equip headgear and then it's like okay, do you want a headband? Do you want a straw hat or do you want a helmet? And then I go in Mm -hmm. there and I select from there. It would have been so nice to have like some sort of organizational structure deeper than just a massive list because it was so exhausting trying to find like. See, Some I wasn't my... playing around with it like that. I I, uh, well, I felt like it was really fast being able to just switch my main armor piece. And I never really, even when I got into combat, I never really s- switched that off. The only time I switched out of the Traveler's attire was, like, for missions. I would choose the specific, like, samurai, samurai armor well, that for, I wanted. For armor, it's different because there's only so many sets of armor. 
but mm-hmm. like I'm just talking like like there were there were a couple Easter eggs with the headbands. You, you <laughs> get to a point where you can climb um, the pagodas. Yeah, there's every an pagoda. One. Yeah, every pagoda has a has a headband at the top. One of them has the infamous second son uh yeah headband reference it's and well it's one, like the bottom of his beanie yeah his, and i i, I yeah. th- once i saw that i was like first of all i i i didn't realize the pagodas had something until i i eventually realized i could climb them and that's because the fucking bird you need the claw you need yeah the yeah the bird kept like i would follow the birds anytime i saw them the birds would lead you to like secrets and stuff and the, every time he'd take me to a pagoda i was like i don't i don't know what you're trying to fucking tell me yeah. What are you yeah, trying I to tell love, me? And I then I realized, the but I hate the birds because <laughs> they shouldn't have been telling you that before you could actually access those secrets. Yeah, which like, is driving because, me crazy. Yeah, <laughs> but eventually I realized I could climb a pagoda, and the first one that I climbed, it was the infamous head uh, uh, headband, and I was like, oh shit, that's so cool! And now I know that pagodas have things on top of them. And then the next one I found was the Sly Cooper one. So yeah, as a as a longtime Sucker Punch fan, I was geeking out over that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you put that on and then there's like a certain uh, weapon Tanuki. that looks like Sly's tail. Yeah. And uh, and then this uh, putting a blue dye on the Sakai clan armor, you get a trophy. I think it was uh, the, uh, the, the, Gosa, the Gosaku uh, armor. It was, yeah, one of, it was one of the armors. Yeah. And you get a you get a trophy for that. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you equip uh a certain number of dies you get a trophy called slay which i thought was funny (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah uh the only like going back to the to the combat the only upgrades like jason mentioned that were really effective were like for the wind and the stone um and the moon uh stances and those stances made the combat feel like a freaking dance like it was so enjoyable to switch depending on what type of enemy you were fighting against my and Go ahead, sorry. No, I was just to say, if I could choose to just fight them head on, I would. But then when things got a little more challenging towards like Act 2 and Act 3, I would use most most more ghost weapons to kind of bring down their stagger meter or like uh, a take smoke out a bomb few to enemies. break it up if they yeah. all get into close. Yeah, yeah that's, exactly. how I, that's how I played. I mostly mm-hmm. fought like that's why I said it's, I, I felt very much it was like it was a Batman game because it's like a lot of people in reviews and stuff i heard them saying you know talking about the stealth oh the stealth this is supposed to be a stealth game and it sucks i'm like i mean yeah i guess you could call it a stealth game but you're really just supposed to be using those options to kill as many people as quickly as you can to thin the herd like mm-hmm. it's this isn't like fucking metal gear style i mean i guess you could go through the game without being detected and and there are missions where you have to do that yeah but they're few and far there are very few of them um, yeah. it, it goes so. it goes back to giving that player the choice through gameplay like they can they really did empower the player to play however they however they want whether it's if, if it's go ahead in or um or be stealthy um and it's i it's about like from a story perspective it's about inflicting fear upon the enemy yes like... oh man and unlocking ghost stance was like the yes. most badass oh. moment in the entire story yes hell yeah and maybe During, in gaming <laughs> yeah like you you just unlock it mid-mission and you're just you're driving them out of the town and just slaughtering them it turns black and white and red every time you slaughter someone is just just the first time you cut off the head of one of the uh 
the, the Mongol generals. Yes. Yeah, the, yes. I love that scene where uh, Lord Shimura walks up behind you and you like just cut up, cut off the head of one of them. Yeah. It's a cut scene and you're like just holding it up as all the Mongols run away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Man, like that's so badass. And I, I like at, by the end, I really liked the Sakai clan armor, not the Sakai, the ghost armor, because it. I really liked ghost dance, and yeah. it decreased the amount of kills you needed, which was yeah. or which was great because uh, especially against the Ronin, I had so much trouble not getting hit by them and like recognizing their attack <sighs> patterns. They were like the yeah. most difficult for me to nail down. And I would get to a point where I'd have, like, I would need one more kill, and I'd get hit. And I was like, yeah. god damn it! Well, the, the interesting thing about the Ronin, they'll use, they'll use like, standoff tactics and dual tactics in normal combat. Yes. So they'll, yeah. fake you, they'll fake you out in normal combat. And I love that so much. I think w what could have easily become a very monotonous selection of enemies, they did a really good job with what they had in creating good enemy diversity. Yes. Um, to keep combat interesting. I would say my t I have two minor complaints, I'd say, about like the primary combat. The first being, I wish unlocking the stances took a little longer. I felt like... I, I, I felt like, you know, going and bouncing leader leader and, and, and unlocking... The first stance happened really quick. Or the I guess the second stance that... The first stance you unlock like happens really quick because you don't need that many leaders and they do increase it but like i felt like maybe this is just because i was going around doing everything but the fact that i had all four stances like so early in the game it felt like the progression kind of capped like the the big point of progression kind of capped really early on yeah that's and true. um i felt like like I didn't even get to observe that many leaders. That was a mechanic for for increasing and, and unlocking stances faster. But I didn't get to do that more than I think three times because I had by by the time I unlocked all the stances, like it was still really early in the game, and I hadn't really utilized that very much. And I'd already killed so many leaders that it just kind mm -hmm. of became a moot point. I didn't even think about that, and it is. It is an interesting uh, criticism. Um, I think it's a catch-22, though, because like you, I'd pretty much... Um, I, like, I didn't get the entire trees of all of them, mm -hmm. but I had unlocked all of them and was starting to work down on each of the stances yeah. by the end of Act 1. Probably the same as you. Yeah. Um, it's a catch-22 because there is, in terms of enemy variety and their strength there's a pretty decent jump between act one and two yeah um yes especially given that the ronin are thrown in mm -hmm. so you can't really not i guess you can but like you're really increasing the difficulty spike if the player doesn't have them all yeah agreed um uh, yeah uh, it is it is a catch-22 and i'm not sure how i would have them do it differently um, I guess I have three minor complaints. There's another one I thought of uh, in the middle of <laughs> you talking about that. Um, the, I, the, I, the next one I'll bring up is I feel like the enemy variety, like while it, there was lots of variety and in, in, um, in how they attacked, um, enemies overall leaned very heavily towards swords. And I felt like I was mostly using my sword, my sword stance throughout the entire game. And while like they would switch up like how they were attacking and, and their style of attacking, I was mostly in that stance. And I felt like 
maybe maybe there should have been more like enemies using uh stat lances like di in different ways or shields in different ways um we did get some variety with the brutes but like i i, I just always felt like I, my default would just switch back to sword stance because there were so many sword enemies and i felt like there was more of a use for the other stances yeah i think that's because the straw hats all had swords right yeah. But even, but not even just the straw hats, because there were other Mongols that, like, some of them ha would have two swords. One of them would have yeah. like a very specific way with like a scimitar, uh, almost. And like, then you add in the Roni, and it's just so many different enemies that use swords. And like, that leads me to my third minor complaint, which is like, I wish the duels had a lot more variation. Most mm. of the duels, again, were sword enemies, and if they weren't, they had a shield. And that was the that was the majority of the duels, and a lot of them kind of boiled down to as badass as those moments were. They were so cool. Um, one of the highlights of the combat for me, but like they mostly had like the same attack strategies and the same uh, move sets. Mm -hmm. And I feel like those are those are like your those are like your boss encounters, so to speak. I feel like they shouldn't. Most of them shouldn't feel the same, but a lot of them kind of did, and that was a little disappointing. Yeah. The only thing that was different were the environments, which were also really cool, yeah. which we'll get into. Yeah, um, yeah. Just to cap off the combat, like I felt like it was a nice little mashup between like Assassin's Creed, Batman, uh, Shadow of War, which is kind of like Assassin's Creed and Batman, <laughs> um, and and Sekiro. But what makes it unique is that you can choose how you want to approach each each fight and just the game period. So you can make it feel like just stealth. You can make it feel like well. Not 100% because certain missions do require only stealth or do require standoffs. But for the most part, like for the overall game, you can choose how you want the game to feel. And I liked mixing and matching it, which didn't make it like I won't say, oh, this is just an Assassin's Creed game or, you know, it was all of it. It took the best elements of those games, brought them together and made a really fun combat experience that really uh, fed to player style. Yeah. And I liked the way that health regeneration and um special moves are all tied to that resolve meter which is oh yeah in, yeah which is just totally dependent upon you fucking going out and engaging like there's there's no hiding there's no i mean yes there's technically a charm that lets you regen health but it's out of combat yeah, yeah. so if you're in the middle of a mission like or in the middle of a duel and you have no resolve and no health you got to fucking go do some damage to get resolved in order to heal or you're going to yeah yep um and go ahead and the abilities that you unlock from the mythic quest which i guess we could get into now real quick is are really freaking dope like yeah <clears throat> you can't just spam them because they're tied to the resolve <laughs> like the heavenly strike which i loved um it's just a one hit kill it's an unblockable attack uh and then you get that uh dance it was a, it was called dance something something where you can one hit kill three enemies um, which was yeah. really helpful to build the ghost meter. And oh, the so, da like, uh, da Dance of Wrath. Dance yes. of Wrath, yeah. Uh, but that would take, like, three resolve points, so you had to, like, be careful on, on how you use them. That was great for encounters. Yeah, Because it, it automatically yeah. breaks their... Uh, their Stagger yeah, meter. Um, yeah. Yeah, the, the... And they were just, like, of the side tails, they were the most interesting, because they... We would get that, like, watercolor... Or not watercolor, but that paintbrush, like, drawing... Uh, with with the musician talking over it, 
Yeah. Um, giving this like in- interesting story, and some of it was like more. Some of it was more like mythical and spiritual. Some of it was like, no, this is a person that did exist, and they 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 really did do all these things, and that's why they're so renowned, and why we're talking about them right now. Um, probably my favorite of the mythic quests was the last one, where you have to climb oh, the mountain. God. That was a great I, mission. It was. I thought I had to get another upgrade. I'm like, why do I keep like, do I need a specific armor like like Link to get yeah. through like frosty <laughs> You can mountains? you can totally wander into that mission area without being on the mission. Yeah, and all of a sudden you'll just start dying, and you have no idea why. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, you do. He says, I've never been this cold, and you can see like ice freeze up around the frame. And I feel yeah. like it's kind of hard. It's kind. It is kind of hard to like go into that without having the mission because like. The musician's right there. Yeah. Like he's. Oh, like... I I didn't see him. Like. Oh, okay. I I knew on the map he was there, but like I was just off because I was following the bird for gotcha. whatever reason. And... <laughs> but yeah, what a what a cool mission because it was a platforming challenge that still had like the Mongolian dogs, uh, coming after you like while well, as you climb and once you get to the top, there's someone up there to greet you and you have a duel with him but you don't kill him you just like. He just tr- teaches you how to use the um, fire sword. The fire sword, and after you beat him in a duel, like he just he's like, okay, like I'm 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 happy to have taught you uh, how teached. this work. Teached. I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy to have taught you <laughs> uh, how this works. Um, you know, please get out of here. Yeah. And, <laughs> and like it, it was it was unique. There were there, none of the other ones uh, were like that. And I, I also thought it was cool how in Act 2, the mythic quest you got there took a distinct, different flavor from the ones in Act mm. 1. Act 1 was very, um, you know, it was very much a, a standard side quest, took a little longer, had more to it, and it was interesting. There were some duels that you did. Whereas in Act 2, it was like, all right, here's a few things you need to do that before you can move on. And, like, the one was, like, you have to go duel the other Ronin, um one was like you got to go save these villages and they'll each give you a key and yeah. once you have all the keys you can go into you can go and get the armor yeah um it, it, it was it was a nice change of pace that they they, they kind of eased you into as you as you went through the game yeah when uh, i was really cool sorry go ahead. no go ahead no, no that's that I'm uh, <laughs> when i saw uh the mongols using a fire sword i was like why the fuck can't i have that like <laughs> i need a fire sword and then we got it uh, towards the end, though. Yeah. But um, the thing about those mythic quests, besides, besides you getting cool abilities like the explosive arrow and stuff, <clears throat> heavenly strike, is that they're taking place in the most beautiful parts of Tsushima. And the game's already beautiful, but like I remember going past this like field of purple flowers, and I was like, this looks like a place where you have a battle. And then I have a battle there be- with a mythic quest. Yeah. And then mm. there's like the field of like white flowers and white trees, which looks the just waterfall. like you have to climb all the way down the side of that cliff. Yeah. There's like autumn trees that you have to fight under. Uh, the one with the white flowers reminded me a lot of the last boss fight in Sekido when you fight uh, Ishin Sword Saint. It was literally the same thing. It was okay. all just so good and so beautiful. I, I was like obsessed with those missions. They were my favorite side missions. Yeah, in they the game. were. They were really big standouts. I can't believe we went this long without talking about them. Um, yeah. But they were they were really big. They, they were really really big standouts uh, in in terms of the side content this game provides, and they give like amazing rewards. Like it's it's doing one of those is how you get the longbow, 
and the longbow yep. is is just it it does massive damage takes longer to draw but like it's got ma- it's got really good range and you can and you use the, the explosive shot yeah yeah which i i use those a hell of a lot more than the um flame arrows like what i would yeah. do is i'd throw i'd throw a firecracker in the in the middle of a camp like five six guys would come over to it and i'd just shoot an explosive arrow and watch them all die <laughs> it was <laughs> nice. it was so fucking cool um yeah yeah, the Mythic Quests, I, I feel like there was one in particular, another one that I wanted to bring up, and I, it already it already slipped my mind, so we can, we can just move on. The one with the crows? May, uh, I can't remember. Oh, uh, the, the, the thing I, I kind of wanted to bring up was kind of a criticism, but it's like not too bad of a criticism, because um, they really facilitate exploration through these as well. That's kind of why these take a little longer. They give you a general idea of find the blue flowers... And you just have to roam in this big circle they give on your map uh, to find blue flowers. At one point, I think I found purple ones, and I couldn't tell if that's what they were talking about until I found the blue ones. And I was like, oh, okay, this is what they mean. You, but, a lot of times you'll find them before you get actually get the mission and you yes. come back. Like I remember the um, – uh, yeah, it was the, Gusak- the Gusaku armor, mm-hmm. the one with the keys. Yeah. I had found that stone door really early on. Yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? I was trying to find a way to climb. I thought it was something I had to climb around. And it wouldn't be until later. You obviously find out that you get the pieces of the key and it unlocks the stone door. With that one in particular, I think it was, I think that was intentional. That was by design because mm-hmm. it's really close to the entrance of like the act two, act two. like yeah. section. And like, I, it's I a very there narrow because, strip of land. Yeah. That can't really miss it. And it's like a big landmark. You go there and you see this door and you're like, oh, I guess, like, I wonder what this is for. And then as soon as I started that mythic quest and found out about the keys, I was like, they opened that door. Yeah. And it turns out I was right. They, they opened that door, which wasn't much of a, that wasn't much of a stretch. Like, it was pretty obvious, but, um, I think I think that one in particular was by design. Like, find that you wonder what it is, and as soon as you get the quest, you know where you have to go, but you need the things in order to go there. Um, yeah. But yeah. Really cool. Big standout missions. Very cool. Uh, I guess the last big thing I kind of want to talk about is just like the open world and the things to do in it. Um, particularly like two 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 facets that we haven't really talked about: the the things to find and the way to find them being the wind did we like the wind system yes even though yeah i think i think everybody liked it i think some people are i don't want to say overhyping it because it was a very clever thing to do yeah but i i think and you have this here in your notes it's a mask for waypoint like there are waypoints in this game this is just a really creative way to mask it and it's it's in it's built in universe yeah and it, it accentuates even more world building. It's thematic. So, the and only other game oh, to, to do a creative way of getting from point A to point B was Shadow of Colossus with the light yes. from the mm-hmm. sword coming mm-hmm. out. That's what it reminded me of a little bit. But then you have these other elements like following a fox to a fox shrine or following a bird to a collectible or whatever, which I thought it was a really cool way to pay attention to a beautiful world mm-hmm. um, and look at the way that the pollen's flown. Because it was like you just get that first wind gust when you hit the waypoint or when you set your destination but then after that the wind kind of calms down you have to look at the direction of like the leaves or the flowers or the pollen even like the water yeah and i guess another thing i want to bring up 
before it slips my mind. Uh, Sucker Punch are like the MVPs when it comes to the DualShock Force touchpad. Mm -hmm. They utilized it in Infamous Second Son and First Light, and now they're utilizing it here in like a way that not many developers really have. Even yeah. first party developers, it's pretty much it's its own. Like it's not a weapon wheel, but like so much as sheathing your sword, uh, mm -hmm. bowing, bowing, so many like little, yeah, playing the flute. So many little actions are tied to it, and it's it's. I I just I I praise them for actually utilizing the damn thing because nobody else does, mm -hmm. and it it's always bugged me like like this is offered and i understand for like multi-platform games and, and developers that are working on the same game for multiple platforms it's kind of hard to make that a useful function when you can't do that on any other version of the game yeah uh, so mm -hmm. it's easier for sucker punch to do that because this is a sony first party game it's going to be using dualshock 4 like we can utilize that as as a as a to facilitate mechanics but like even other first party studios haven't really utilized it much outside of like a glorified map button so just kudos to soccer punch for actually using the damn thing in a really cool way swiping up for the wind and all the other functions that you guys said I, I i really really loved that and was happy that they did that they did that that way yeah there was there's a few games i can think of like dark souls used it uses it for like emotes i think mm -hmm. uh and and the last of us did it for like the guitar um, yes. Which, like, yeah, but but it, but one of the few games for sure. Um, in in situations, also... sorry. Um, mm. In situations like the guitar in The Last of Us, which was really clever, it's just very circumstantial. This is like I was constantly swiping up on my touchpad to get the wind to show me where I needed to go. It was like it's like circumstantial. It's like can be really clever, but this was like a primary game mechanic that I was constantly using the damn totally. Thing and I just I love that. I just I didn't want to go through this episode without saying something about it yeah um i like the the little bamboo things that you find <laughs> yeah. it turned into like what reminded me of a tutorial for a fighting game <laughs> <laughs> where it's like do this combo and then and then you you like you can move on to the next tutorial constantly like, kind pausing of like, to look at your move felt list. like a mini game out of final fantasy <laughs> oh <laughs> um yeah, like other collectibles that I that we should bring up because they were they were all like I say collectibles as like things to do on the map. So like hot springs being a location to me that was a collectible. Um, yeah, and everything had its own little shtick. The hot springs they would increase your health, but you could like sit there and get some dialogue um, about like some some of Jin's thoughts on things that Wanting are going to be on touched the by story. a woman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. we also get to see he brings his that up ass. a lot during the game. <laughs> I felt so bad. He's I wanted got, him to get some blue balls so there, man. <laughs> um, yeah, those even were... even something as simple as the uh, the banners, which mm -hmm. on on the surface, uh, every time you collect like what is it like ten of them, you get a new saddle for your yeah, horse, something like that. But like, I felt the best part about the banners was the conversation you would have, in which Jin would tell the guy. Um, who gives you the saddles a little bit more history about the island, which yeah. again ties into everything is tying into making this one world that you're like basically living in for the duration of the game. Like you, there's one part where you get a saddle and then tells you a little bit about the history of the, uh, the Yarakawa clan and the rebellion and how Jin's father and his uncle played into that. Um, 
the origins of how Shimura and how they came to be the Jito of the island. Lots of interesting background information that, like, I felt like was well delivered. It was better than just finding a collectible. You guys know how much I hate to read. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it better when it's presented like that, like as a dialogue, a story that this samurai is telling to this common peasant. And he's like, oh, I will pass on your story. You know, it's very yeah. interesting. Um, the fox dens, there's a lot of fox dens, but those mm-hmm. are so, they're, they're, they're so cool. I, I always felt bad whenever I'd find an Inari shrine without finding the fox first. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, I, I love going for the little run with the fox. Me too, and, and then petting pet, them. Yeah, you get to pet them after. Oh, and then there was that one side mission where you just see a bunch of dead fox. Oh, yeah. That was really sad. Mm-hmm. I went John Wick on those guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, I thought the crickets were a cool touch, uh, especially because, like, graveyards... They weren't like they weren't markers on your map like a lot of the other locations right. would be. It was like if you if you stumble upon an area that has a bunch of graves and, and you realize it's a graveyard, like it's not a marker that you can just fast travel to or find or be led and to. Not all of them had them. Yeah, not all of them had. Most of them did. I think I think it was yeah. like mostly like ones that were involved in the main story primarily didn't have them mm-hmm. because it would kind of take away from the reason why you were there, which I respect. Um, but most of them did have them. And it was a cool thing to uh, it was it was a cool touch. It's all, also yeah. very thematic. Uh, the Inari shrines were awesome. Platforming puzzles, loved those. We already kind of talked about the the charm system and and our criticisms of that, so we don't have to go too too much into that. But it was just a clever way to have like in in involve like Shinto, uh, the Shinto religion, uh, in with uh, some some cool uh, platforming challenges. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, the ban- we the bamboo strikes were, were were neat. The finding the artifacts and records were informative. Yeah. Uh, the artifacts, especially, I I felt like some of the records were really flat. Yeah. Um. The most interesting. I didn't really ones, read them. I, I I read them, but like a lot of them weren't very interesting. Um. They I think they were trying to evoke like how The Last of Us does notes to, um, facilitate environmental storytelling. I feel like mm-hmm. some of those records were trying to do the same, but. They were mostly in the like the regular houses, and none of them really looked all that different to really mm-hmm. help facilitate that environmental storytelling. So a lot of them just kind of fell flat for me. The most interesting ones I felt were the conversations with the Khan that yeah. kind of give the it's like some Mongols thoughts as the story was progressing, and after like they would directly relate to like the actions that you were doing uh, in the story and how Koten Khan without seeing him was reacting to them. Yeah. Cause he's a, he as straightforward as we, you know, we talked about already as straightforward as he was, he was also pretty intelligent and probably grasped the significance of your actions even more so than like Lord Shamrata yeah. or anybody else. Yeah. Like he, like he's, he's straight. What was his line that he says to Ryuzo at one point? He's like, the samurai are, follow a code. They're predictable. Yep. Uh, the ghost does not. Yeah. So that makes him dangerous. Yep. Yeah. That was powerful. Yeah. There were there were also not just the Inari shrines, but just the regular big shrines that 
because the Nari shrines were were smaller platforming puzzles, or sometimes they just brought you to a cool area. But then there were the big, big shrines that weren't attached to the foxes that were the parkour challenges. No, that's what I'm mm-hmm. talking about the, the the Shinto shrines. Shinto shrines, yeah, yeah that's th- those, what they're those are the platforming. Yeah, that's what I was referring to. Those Sorry, if I wasn't shrines, um, those made me. Th- that was an element of Assassin's Creed that I missed. Just like seeing what ledge to latch onto um, by just looking at the the way it's like colored and shaped. I feel like Assassin's Creed eventually came to a place where you could just parkour on anything. But the like Assassin's Creed 2, the original, like you really had to pay attention to the buildings you were climbing to see how like you could ascend. And I feel like these shrines did that really well. Yeah, they. I was surprised because in the beginning they were very simple, and I was like, oh, it's, I'm. I, I'm guessing it's kind of going to stay this way for the entire game, kind of be like more like Uncharted, where it's more about the spectacle of them, of climbing up them. But they really actually became, as the game went on, more like puzzles. Yeah. In that you had to navigate, and if you fucked up, like you would fall just in the middle of wherever you were. Sometimes you would have to go all the way back to be the beginning and restart. Like, yeah. And like they even mixed it up in like in verticality versus like. So, so there was like one, uh, I think, in yeah, the second up, area. Up wasn't always the way forward. Sometimes you had to go down, <laughs> or like... or not even that. But there was like one shrine, one one Shinto shrine in particular that was like, it was like, almost like a labyrinth, and it was there was no verticality. It was all just like yes. flat. But there, it was like a labyrinth that you had to make your way through, and sometimes like climb up a ledge to then jump to another ledge and then jump back down. And, it, and you then didn't swing really... a tree over like the cliff into yeah. the next like little paddock yeah you didn't really like climb up so much as you climbed forward which was really really cool to to see that mixed up not not to say anything bad about the verticality of most of them but like it it was just really cool to be able to do that and uh like even later some of the other shrines that you find there's like multiple paths and like it kind of was difficult to discern like which one is the path forward and which is the one to like a side thing with like a flower or some supplies um I wound up taking the main path at some point and I wound up doing the shrine like a second time just so I could go and get that flower, especially because flowers mm-hmm. were such a such a commodity for the dyes. Like I wanted yeah. to get those extra flowers if I could. Yeah. Um, but it was it, it, like, yeah, a lot of those were really cool and varied. Not so challenging as like they, they, they did get a little more challenging. I kind of wish some of them were more challenging, but it's kind of hard to when you have a, a pretty rudimentary climbing system like that it's kind of hard to make it challenging definitely wasn't you... like the focus yeah right um is there anything else you guys want to talk about before we move on to the final question any last no, I think, notes i think we indirectly hit like everything we really had noted here yeah. in other sections delilah looks like I mean... she has something to say i do uh, just one thing <laughs> I don't know how the fuck Assassin's Creed could ever make a game in Japan without being compared to this game and maybe being <laughs> I don't, inferior. I don't think they will. They, yeah, uh, they at can't. this point, I think I think they the boat has shipped on that. Yeah. People and have I, been asking for I'm, a decade. I'm, I'm going to straight up say like this is better than Assassin's Creed. Oh yeah, like, for sure. I hate I hate how people keep comparing it when the combat in this is so much more in depth than Assassin's Creed. Like yeah. Not to shit on it, like as did enjoy some of the earlier Assassin's Creed games. I haven't played them in a very long time, but... Well, I think a lot of people have just been begging Ubisoft to make a feudal Japan Assassin's Creed, and now at this point, that ship has sailed. You, yep. Yeah. You 100... But I, I have a feeling from a business perspective, they're going to look at the sales of this game, the success of this game, and think, 
shit, why haven't we done this? We, we got to do this. <laughs> and then it's yeah. going to be, it's, it's, it's going to be looked at and, and it's going to be a reverse. This is going to be, com- if they do that, it's going to be compared to Ghost of Tsushima and not in a positive way. Yeah. Cause I mean, like I said before, uh, a single word summarization of this game fluid, especially yep. when it comes to the combat Assassin's Creed for, I don't think it's unfair to say it's a bit janky when it comes to combat. It's definitely improved. Uh, I I haven't played it in a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the Odyssey and and Origins have made it a little more methodical, like Dark Souls-like, but forgiving Mm -hmm. um, in terms of, like, locking on and uh, attacking. Um, It's it's definitely more fluid, but just Ghost of Tsushima as a whole is fluid. Like, the way you go to side missions. Like, Assassin's Creed bogs you down with freaking objectives, and this didn't. (laughs) I platinum, platinum the game... 10 minutes after I beat it. That's insane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, any, anything else? No, sorry. I'm done now. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The, the, the final question I, I, I want to bring up is just, is there going to be a sequel? I mean, there, chances are from a business perspective, there, there will be a sequel to this game because it's, it, it's been yeah. really successful, really well received. Where can they go with that? Do we think that it'll take us to the mainland of Japan? Or do we think it'll be a, a story of Jin versus the Shogun? I What will they do from here on out? I want it to be stated here and now. I don't want there to be a sequel. I wish. Well, neither do I. I. Hope Sucker Punch, I hope Sucker Punch can, like, take this as their opportunity to go like let's find another cool idea and like flex our muscles a bit but um if there has to be a sequel i don't think it would be Jin versus the shogun i almost feel like it would be more interesting to see Jin infiltrating the mongol empire itself oh take the fight to them yeah basically okay okay i don't i don't, I don't know though I've seen art articles like, "Oh, Yuna should be the protagonist of the next one." And I'm like, uh, I don't. I I think all of these characters had pretty like good stories that concluded well and within this game. No, I, I agreed. I totally agree. And it's like it's also the the question of like, the game is called Ghost of Tsushima. It's pretty clear right. that the game is about Tsushima. It's about it's now, about was... Jin and in Tsushima. Now he's still he still as the char- as a character is the ghost of Tsushima, even if he goes to mainland yeah. Japan or takes the fight to the Mongolian Empire. But like, how do you? I, I guess like, do you change your I marketing mean, strategy? There was a bit? another Mongol invasion as well, mm-hmm. and but I feel like what you said before is if they made a sequel, what you said before is probably what would happen is we would get far more into the politics of the shogunate um, and the Jito. Yeah. Uh, and it's we hard. would see more of the, more of that, like more of the samurai coming down on the people who are now somewhat empowered because of Jin's actions. Yeah, I I like you guys don't want a sequel. I don't see how they can do it. I feel like this ended so well; it felt very conclusive. And I feel like if they continue, it might it might have the Last of Us Part Two syndrome, which I still think was good, but you know, it might right. be divisive. Um, but I, also, like, how do you choose what the decision that you end the game differently? Like, we all end well. 
I ended the game differently from you guys, but like, I does mean, Lord Shimura kill himself? Does he stay alive? Like, so to is that, he even a factor in this? To that, I will say, like, Infamous One had a different ending depending on yes. your morality, and they still made one of those. Like, this is the canon going into two. They could gotcha. like regulate that in some way. I, I think they would have Jin embracing the ghost be the canon ending. I agree. And Lord Shimura is chasing, is hunting you. But yeah. Then if then if you do that though. For the people that made that decision, like Delilah, it kind of diminishes their choice. Yeah. And would be ashamed to do that, especially when this this offers such a such a gratifying choice at the end. Yeah. That, um, that's that's one of the reasons I don't want that to be a sequel. I, no, I, at least, I mean, at I least totally story, yeah. I totally agree. I, I I I love this I love this game. I do wish there was more of it, but not in the sense of give me a sequel. I I, I, I think that this is this was a good end to just move on to something else, especially because I, I love Sucker Punch's games and I yeah I want to see them. Um, even if it, this is a little ironic, but even if it means going back and doing another Infamous, but like the, the the thing I liked so much about Second Son was it wasn't another story with Cole. It was a yeah. new character with new creative, unique powers, and like see. I, I didn't mind the thing about that one. I didn't mind it being a new character. What I hated was that they almost got rid of the cool comic book nature yeah. of the originals and they made it like Seattle, the most boring city oh, ever. I love Seattle. Come on. Man. I think that's one of the reasons I love this game so much is like the first PlayStation exclusive in years not to be in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> um. Word. Yeah, so I, I guess that's I guess we can. Wrap I can't up from here. say. I was just say I can't say I won't be happy if I hear an announced no, Ghost of Tsushima sequel. I'm I, definitely I gonna mind, be hyped. I wouldn't mind if it was like a completely different thing. Like it took yeah. place maybe like somewhere else, like mainland Japan or Okinawa or somewhere else, yeah. and it was a completely different character. Maybe somewhere in the future, like a hundred years what in the future. Like, what if it's like not even that far? But what if it's like Jin's son? He has a kid, and you play as his son, and you're dealing with like similar things that Jin dealt with the fa- the legacy of his family. But now, the the legacy of the Sakai clan has changed so drastically. You deal with that a different perspective of yeah, like that somebody like you're that a misfit clan. in society. Yeah, like y- instead of being born under this honorable clan, you're born under the the the, the venerated. Well, there ghost. is no clan. There's no clan Sakai anymore. Like in, in uh, the, I know what you're saying. Though. Under yeah, this, yeah. under the sense of like the shogunate, there is not. But like, Sakai still has a legacy of some sort, and yeah. you deal, you you play as like his son, dealing with that. I think I think that would be interesting. Like, it takes place in the beginning. It starts on like mainland Japan, and there's some story. Maybe he's a thief. Maybe maybe he's fallen into like the underworld of Edo. I think Edo was the capital at the time. Um, uh, was it Edo or Kyoto? I, you might be. Oh, like it might Kyoto. be Kyoto. I'm, I'm but not I sure. don't know. Yeah, but um, and then maybe there's a part in the game where you actually go back to Tsushima for a bit to, what was it, Omi Village? Yeah, and you have to confront like that same. But I see what you're saying. That's like a good, a good potential story as well. So you hear that sucker punch? Make Ghost of Tsushima first son. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um. All right, I think we can think we can wrap it up, right? Yeah. Deli- Delilah, yeah. you got anything cool to plug? 
Honestly, no. I've just been streaming on Sundays at 9.30. I was streaming Code Vein last week, which I just got into. Okay. And uh, I have, like, streams and also some playthroughs of main story quests of Ghost of Tsushima on YouTube. If you're interested, Assassina, Space, San. Um, and, yeah, I'll just probably be playing the Marvel beta on stream and Code Vein and Nino Kuni until uh, Marvel Avengers comes out officially in September. Ooh, Nino Kuni. Which one? The Wrath of the White Witch. Oh, so thanks. good. I still haven't played either. I want to play that. Yeah. Big Studio Ghibli fan, big JRPG fan, but I never played either. Very good. The, the second one, meh. <laughs> um, yeah, if you liked this if you liked this episode, if you're watching on YouTube, please uh, like the episode. Subscribe to the channel. And uh, if you're listening to it on Apple Podcasts, a rate, a review would be so appreciated. Oh, speaking of reviews, I got to give my score. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Good um, Lord, I keep forgetting. The official, this one was this one was fairly easy. The official Jason Kwasnicki score for uh, Ghost of Tsushima is eight katanas and one wakazashi. <laughs> okay. Can I, you don't can know, I... wakazashi is a smaller katana. Yeah, yeah. The samurai would carry a large sword that they would set aside when they went indoors, but they would keep their wakazashi short sword. Is Jason, is this your game of the year? You don't you could decline to potentially, answer that. Yes. It's actually potential it's in my running for game of the generation. What's uh ooh, wow. generation. Damn. Yeah. Um I, I was I at first I was very hesitant to say that, but at the end of the game I can definitively say it's in the running. So I'm yeah. not saying it is in my running. It's in it's in the top three right now. Nice. What about you, Delilah? I honestly can't choose between this, Final Fantasy VII, and The Last of Us 2 because I like them all in very different ways. Yeah. But this I'm, is definitely my game of the year so far. I'm, yes. I'm, between, nice. I'm between this and Final Fantasy VII Remake for my game of the year, but I think it's edging closer to Ghost of Tsushima. Yeah. <laughs> to that end. <laughs> it's, it, yeah, it's, it's a lot of... I mean, it's... We don't need to talk about it right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't watch our episode on Final Fantasy yeah. VII to hear our yeah. thoughts on that Absolutely. one. Yeah, and we'll probably eventually have a Game of the Year thing, maybe. Yes, probably. We'll, we'll figure that out uh, Come closer to the end of the year. Um, yeah, if you're listening... Anyway, yeah, this, this game gets an 8.5 out of 10 for me. Cool. Uh, yeah, um, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, yeah, rating or review would be would be so welcome. Um Five stars preferred, obviously, and tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Comment on the show on uh, on YouTube if you if you could. Uh, I do want to give uh, uh, just two shout outs uh, that I have in mind. I want to give a shout out to Doctor Dinchak on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, they are a very frequent commenter, giving us feedback regularly and their thoughts on the games that we play. And I, I appreciate that so much. Thank you so much for doing Definitely. that. I would love more people to do that. Follow, follow in their footsteps and, um, and just, yeah, give us, give us whatever feedback you can. Uh, I also want to give a shout out to a, a actual personal friend of mine goes by the tag of AO artist on, um, on Twitter they're also constantly uh, telling me their thoughts on, on, on the show, listens to almost every episode, and I, I just can't overstate how much I appreciate the feedback from, from everyone that gives it uh, yep. in, in either verbal form, you know, just shooting me a text or a comment on YouTube or, or a rating or review on iTunes. I, I cannot tell you how much it means to me and to yeah. all of us, really. Uh, 
So please continue to do it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Share the show also with your friends, your family, your pets, your kids. Maybe not your kids. We curse a lot. Uh, <laughs> it just the, the bigger we get, the more likely we are to spin off and do like other things with this channel and 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 this group, if you will. Because um, we really wanna, we really wanna do more, but we need to, I guess, justify that time. We love doing this yeah. show. We're gonna continue doing it, but like, yeah. The more totally. you, the more, the more you tell us that you're liking it, the more likely we are to do those things. And speaking of continuing to do the show, hey Jason, what are we playing next? Oh, the one of my other contenders for game of the generation, God of War 2018. Oh, yeah. yeah, it should be noted we're playing the. Uh, 2018 God of War, the newest one. Uh, it, it could also be thought of as God of War 4. Uh, I will say, like, with that episode, we are going to dip into the original trilogy a little bit. So yeah, if not, you... do not play that game thinking that it was a reboot. I mean, it is it, very much it's a continuation of the story of Kratos. It's weird because you can play through that game without having prior knowledge, but it gives you so much more context behind totally. Kratos' character if you know what happened in the original trilogy at the very least. So maybe if you don't want to, if you don't like the play style of the old ones, you don't want to go back. At least like read a little bit. Yeah, I'll. Uh, I'll We'll, we'll, we'll try to, with, with that episode, you know, I'll say at the top of the show, like, we'll try to dance around things that happened in the original trilogy a little bit and not, like, spoil too much of those. But we will, we will go into what the game itself goes into. So be prepared for that if you decide to follow through with uh, our next episode. Um, so, yeah, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>